tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome along to Tip Today, 1800-938-007. A free phone number won't cost you to make a call and Ali is looking after the programme today. Coming up on the show, Johnny Luby will chat to me in just a few moments' time. We'll speak to Dr John Lambert about uh, the recent uh, measles outbreak. Uh, A local woman will share her experience about uh, getting a cancer diagnosis. And we'll be speaking about learner drivers and uh, the test and all of that kind of thing as well. And that's carrying on a conversation from yesterday. Uh, We'll have a farming update. And, of course, the Friday panel will be uh, unpacking the big topics of the week. So all of that and much, much more on the way. You can text and WhatsApp if you want to get involved in our conversations or bring up something brand new. 083-311-3311. You can email tiptoday at tipfm.com and whatever way you may contact with us. We're always delighted indeed to hear from you and many thanks to all of our brand new listeners as well because we were delighted with that uh, JNLR uh, result yesterday uh, figures for tip today and indeed for uh, tip fm in general gone up again and uh, new listeners very very welcome of course we're always um, uh, delighted to have so many loyal listeners over many many years out there as well let's have a look at the front pages the irish independent it's dominated by a remarkable photograph indeed because thousands of people in iceland have been left without water as a new volcanic eruption in the south of the country has destroyed uh, pipes, but there's jets of lava in uh, the picture sent uh, into uh, the sky, but it's also encroaching on uh, the roads. As I say, it's a remarkable photograph indeed. Uh, The main story on the Indo today, a switch to electric vehicles is helping to fuel a huge increase in the value of car loans. Uh, Figures from lenders have shown, and households are also taking out more green loans, as well as borrowing for home improvements and, indeed, holidays as well. Let's have a look at the Irish Examiner and uh, the main story there. Gardaí are building a pool of information from investigations into 19 fires at properties linked to asylum seekers, which could reveal if they are links to um, prominent far-right agitators. Also, uh, right across the newspapers today, indeed, um, a reference to that uh, story that we'll be talking about later on in uh, the programme. Health officials a warning of nine suspected cases of measles in children in Ireland so far this year. And data published by the Health Protection Surveillance Centre shows seven cases have been recorded in children under age of four. Two suspected cases have been reported in children aged uh, five to nine. Of course, we heard about that man in his 40s passing away as well. Um, the Irish Times... And again, they're referring to their Ipsos poll at the top of their front page and the referendums on uh, recognising non-marital families and care in the home in the Constitution are on course to pass. Though most voters, this is very important, most voters say they know hardly anything at all about the proposed changes. A clear majority of voters in the latest uh, Irish Times poll uh, saying they will vote yes to both proposals, though with better informed voters. Now, this is a very important line in this speech. With better informed voters more likely to vote against the proposed changes. Um, 
so that's 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 kind of interesting to to dwell on that, is it not? Another thing that's kind of worrying. Well, I find it worrying anyway. Is that Ireland has entered a new agreement with NATO? aimed at protecting subsea infrastructure and uh, countering threats from aggressive nations such as uh, Russia. Um, But the government insisting it's not a step towards full membership of the Defence Alliance. But I'm sure a lot of people may still be concerned about us cozying up to uh, NATO in this fashion. Uh, The Irish uh, Daily Mail, the main story there, again, a very harrowing one, a Jesuit priest who was accused of child sexual abuse uh, was allowed access to children for 11 years after a complaint was made. 11 years. Isn't that incredible? Anyway, that's uh, some of your headlines today. If you'd like to make comment on any of that, 083-311-3311. It's time for Johnny Luby. Johnny, good morning to you. Morning, friend. Uh, how are you today, Johnny? Well, so flying is fine. I'm alive, thanks be to God, to thank, to, to say hello to the new listeners. To the new listeners. FM. Yeah, we're delighted with uh, another increase in listenership, Johnny, so it's great news, yeah. Yes, I thought we'd be gone down after listening to me. <laughs> I thought we'd be gone down after listening to me, Johnny, so I know how you feel. But anyway, it's great. Yeah, it's great. Great news. Great news for the station and all of that. So, uh, My God. The, the Forpenny Road is getting even more famous now, Johnny. That's what it is. That's right, Jeff. And it is, uh, there's plenty of water around on it at the moment. The bloody greenhouse emissions with electric chaos and the whole lot. The bloody boats are going to be getting out uh, to go yes, around the place. Where, where is the snow we were told about, Johnny, over the last couple of days? I don't know, friend. I do not know where it went. I, I genuinely tell it because we had been at a funeral in Cash for the late, great uh, Rainy Leamy from Thomastown. Yeah. She was formerly from the, the boundaries of Golden, Nockavilla, or the Kikens and uh, that barn and rail, I think, in the wrong Bell and the Clock area, and an absolute lady she was mother of. John Tom, Brian, and uh, Carol. And uh, John was an unusual man in Tipperary holding. He won a minor All-Ireland, a number 21 All-Ireland, an intermediate All-Ireland, and a senior All-Ireland. So uh, he was sub-goalie at times to Ken uh, Hogan there, the the Tip uh, FM presenter of games at times. But John was a wonderful holder as well. And uh, that that was a big crowd at the funeral. And, uh, of course, uh, the usual, we adjourned to Brosnan's and there, again, for the umpteen time, with the smart addicts from Cashel, Theron and O'Donoghue and all of them, we solved the problems of the world. <laughs> it's a, it's a grand thing to say. We had John, Bob and Tommy Fennon and, uh, of course, Mr. Coney. And the, the one fellow we were missing was, of course, Tommy Kane uh, from Deep Down. He was in Corneys, if you don't mind. Oh, was like, he? Indeed? We were in Corneys. Was he indeed? I'm sure I was in Corneys for years. I used to play music in Corneys back in the 80s. Yeah. Jesus, because I know we're, we're finding out of all the, the local watering holes that you made your good money in. There you go, yeah. Myself and Anthony <laughs> O'Connor there in Aleby Grace, and yeah, we had some mighty crack there over the years, yeah. By God, above tonight, yeah. It brings back a heap of memories, doesn't it, Frank? Yeah. Oh, stop, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, look, uh, the, a fine crowd uh, attended the funeral there in uh, Devitz in Cashel mm. and uh, backed into Gordon yesterday, and that's an huge crowd there as well so our sympathies to the Leamy family and I'm offering sympathies as well sympathies uh, to uh, uh, the McGillicuddy the family there from the Honey Farm near Glengala uh, on the death of Joan McGillicuddy oh, there during news. the week and news. also to the Heffernan family in Dundrum on the yeah. death of, sudden death of Philip in the shop there uh, 
he was a wonderful guy in every way, big into the Greyhounds. He won the English Derby with a dog called Ring of Hustle, bred by Liam O'Brien of uh, just up the road there. Liam was the head man in Foss there for a long number of years. Connell's dead as well. Connell's yes, involved with the tip minors. Yes. But, uh, uh, and all I said, they came down one day just to see myself. I had a greyhound lying outside the door, if you don't mind. He was nine or ten months old. And they never asked me what price Rantan Ellis will take him and you'll train him. And didn't he go on to win the Constellation Derby in Tower Town Park? Go and Fran, if, celeb- if celebrating, did you know Philip Efferman? I, I did indeed. I did indeed, of course. Yeah, well, if yes. celebrating was celebrating, could have given it a right, a right course <laughs> altogether between Nat Raffin and Temple Dewey. And of course, the Clan Miller. Well, it's all sympathies to the Heffernan family as well. Yes. And the death of Philip. That funeral is in Canolty uh, Church. It'll be a huge, huge funeral. A huge funeral as well, Frank. Mm. Look, we'll probably take it in, please God, on our way to the county board draw, which is in the clock in in clock, Jordan. Oh, trying a, a small spot. question for you. Mm. As you know, as you know, Tipperary and the whole lot. Mm. Clock, Jordan. Yeah. What GA club? Um, Kilron McDonald's. Oh, by Christ above. Ten out of ten. There you go now. There you go <laughs> Damon now. Gaynor was telling me this morning, as uh, he was uh, up in Connemara in Galway, he could receive tip FM loud and clear. But uh, Eamon's sister would be married to Dean Cahill the Huller. Right. And Eamon's other sister then is coaching uh, the Tullus Osseline Convent who are in the All-Ireland Camogie uh, uh, school's final. Mm. And Eamon said to me, finished up, he said, that will shove it up to Cahill now, he said. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's very so, mature, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. At the, uh, uh, at the county board draw tonight, please, guarding the clock in, uh, they'll be announced the Tipperary team. Could be live on Tip FM at nine o'clock. It is marvellous the way Stevie Gleason can get around to all these things. Uh, and that's so if you're tuning tonight, Ashley, that's the thing about it, Johnny, because I was expecting to win a car by now. Am I still in it? I think I'm still in it, aren't I? Well, the least I can do is win a, win a car, especially seeing that I knew the local club now. I should come out in this draw tonight in, in Clock That's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, yeah, friend, I suppose as we're talking about the holding, look, a magnificent victory for Nina last weekend. We spoke about oh, that Tuesday morning. Hey, happiest congratulations to them and uh, commiserations to the runner-up at Skull Reach. They could meet each other again sometime in the near future because I think the mm. will go out again into the All-Ireland competition. Uh, also, a marvellous weekend for Tipperary holding to uh, beat Dublin above in Parnell Park. No disrespect to Dublin, we probably not arrogant or anything else. We'd probably expect to be beaten Dublin, but to do it in Parnell Park, a tight pitch, and our team did perform well. So they have a big one on Sunday. They play Galway in Simple Stadium. I suppose our so-called big buys are back yet, but the lads that are there, uh, Liam will find it hard enough to displace some of them because they're certainly showing a small bit of form, you know, and that's what it's all about. Our footballers went along for them, one up there, which was magnificent for them. And our Camogie players, uh, had a nice victory in uh, Borussia I think, with tip against Cork for some bit of a cup that they put up there, and they did perform well. Cork Van possibly my pin- well, definitely my pin-up girl, but I don't think Cork will be playing with him this year for maybe one reason or another. Our loss will be huge, but they don't they know about it in time, so they'll have to get down to brass tags and mm. the, uh, do their stuff on the on the, the G on the Komoki fields. Uh, also, friend, commiserations to. Uh, 
uh, the high school in Clanmel, yeah. the CBS. They were yeah. beating the Munster final outside in Fed up, and that only beat four or five points. So they possibly go out again. But it's marvellous to see the hurling down there in Clanmel and the surrounding areas, and well done to them. On the rugby front, of course, that we mentioned last weekend, their super value, Parky Keeve, uh, how is 40 odd thousand for the Munster game, and that's brilliant for them. Any place to get a few pounds. Just yeah. talk about, of course, FBD, Simple Stadium is the one there, and then you have something else in Nolan Park, and that now just talks about and his only talks but you'd wonder will it come to pass are they going to uh, be is Croke Park going to be sponsored uh, as well d- down the line I just see it on the table this morning is there an outside chance that says GA Chief Snow but they're all talking about friend of the amount of money that's being spent at the moment on all the GA teams around it uh, runs into maybe over well over a million and a half per uh, for a lot of counties, and this helped to sustain all that. The, mm. the heading on the paper was amateur only in name. Yeah, but, but, but the, the, does let's say Tipperary hurling and football? Does that funding not just come from the county, Johnny? I suppose the league has something with it, and certainly the All Ireland Championships as well. Shall I bring in millions mm. uh, and that? The funding from Tipperary would uh, help as well there with gate admission, I mm. presume, and all of that. But the costs are huge for yeah, an insurance, yeah. insurance and overheads. And like, you can't expect players in this day and age to travel down to Dublin without maybe giving them two euros to, to lift the bear on the toll. <laughs> you know that kind of way. So they, two euros <laughs> no good to you anymore. You know it's gone up, <laughs> oh, Johnny. It's an absolute scandal oh, as well, Frank. Stop. What happened in that scene? I mean, yeah. I was in Shannon Airport last Tuesday morning, two bloody thirty. Yeah, I know. And I gave the horse two forty, and I couldn't get back to ten cent. <laughs> you know, I mean, I just if they want to play a ball that way, but no they must make a fortune myself. on being overpaid because I, that happens to me all of the time. Unbelievable! You yeah. know, I just I no care to the morning coming back then. I had the two thirty to be exact, but mm. I, the checkbook was in front of the car, which I hadn't written for <laughs> five or six years. I said to your man when I went into his side, I said, I "Haven't any money?" He said, "You left." I said, "What do I do?" I said, "Will you take a check?" <laughs> no, he said. I said, "I'll have to do it. I'll have to lie down on the road." And that here we had it out hot and heavy. Eventually, friend, anyway, he lifted the bear, and I still held on to my two thirty. <laughs> <laughs> There is ways and means. So you got a freebie, a freebie at the top. Yeah, freebie. Now, in the rugby front, I think Ganbell and Cash could be at home this weekend and Nina are away all uh, fighting for top spot there. So the very best of luck to them. The big derby game is on at the weekend as well. Kid Freakland, Cambodian, that's on in Cambodian on Sunday. And of course, as I said, uh, in the soccer, then marvellous wins. For the, imagine we have three teams in the last eight of the FAI Junior Cup in Tipperary. Isn't it magnificent for them? Dan Bell Celtic, uh, Peak Villa, and of course, uh, St. Michael's, who seem to be there or thereabouts every year. Dan uh, Bell Celtic and uh, Peak Villa, there at home. And uh, St. Michael's have to travel to uh, Kilkenny uh, all in the quarterfinals. We could end up with three tip teams in a semi final. At that stage, two will have to face each other, and we could end up with the two tip teams in the final friend. And lo and behold, I'm the first to say it. What a draw that would be. There's only one place to hold that match, and that's inside in FBD Semple Stadium in Tullus. Am I after opening a can of worms? There? I think you were, but you're always opening a can of worms. <laughs> so we're used to you now at this point. That's it, yeah. Do you know that there's somebody listening to you today in Cricklewood? 
So the crack was oh good in Cricklewood and we never left the crown. There was glasses flying and biddies crying and Paddy going to town. Do you remember and that? Paddy goes to bloody town. <laughs> Fran, I was in Cricklewood a good few times. A wonderful place. Actually, I was at the dance in the Galty Moor the last night of closed down. Were you indeed? I was, yeah. Were I was you? there the night of closed down. What, yeah, was it Big Tom years. was there? Who, who was there that night? Was it Big I don't know who was playing that night now. It wasn't... Maisie McDonald, no. She was ah, no, she was much, much more recent than <laughs> God, Maisie McDonald. You're going back to 1969 or something, Johnny. I know, yes. Yeah. <laughs> she was married to Fintan Stanley, you know, the great, great accordion. I've been a fellow worker with us one time. He cycled over to... Uh, uh, Palace Green. She mm. was playing in drum key in the blackboard of my house. That was oh, our big yeah. number. It was indeed. Uh, and then, but I then cycled back at five o'clock in the morning anyway. And uh, he got these black and white cards and he put it up on the back of the door. And he was sleeping upstairs in our in our old house. And here he's got the throwing darts at Macy McDonald <laughs> at five o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and then we yeah. had a help test on Monday, and my father lost us in Medanjo Keith to vest. Yeah. And he said, you'll have to put you'll have to put off the test. He said, that's anything great for him. He said, Macy McDonald never produced him last night. <laughs> anyway, then, and, Pat, and he also said, poor old Patsy, he said, he's suffering from a hangover as well. So then Joe he said to me, he said, I said to my father, he said, I have the cure for him. Bring him out here. He said, Imagine a vet and you have the cure for a fellow to hang over. <laughs> he gave him three dark warm tablets. <laughs> where, where are you going then? <laughs> there were the days. Uh, uh, I bet that fixed them. No, just that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unbelievable. Hey, we had marvellous cracking uh, 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 pan melon and that there's Mullins. There was much the morning, as I said. The greatest of all the Mullins. But anyway, look, yeah. we met him all. He, he met you out uh, in the smoking area, I think, did he? Um, that's right, yeah, out in the smoking area in the Immigrants' Rest. <laughs> a wonderful pub, dear friend. They'd done it up and Brian Atchison of Rob Corfein with the horses. Uh, Brian wants it now. Oh, uh, and that, and it's on the old bridge there, Johnny, isn't it? The old that's bridge right, yeah. yeah. Yeah, unbelievable. But, friend, last night I was at the uh, Canolty National School, had a musical. Yeah. Any dream will do. Oh, brilliant. Friend, it was absolutely brilliant in Brewery One. It's a wonderful setup. I got a good uh, chance last night to look at the whole setup. There, it's a magnificent setup uh, for any of the music that's gone on. But last night to see the youngsters, friend, I saw talent last night from seven and eight year olds that had to be seen to be believed. A lot of them will go places, but tremendous credit must you, must go to the uh, teachers and all of those. Not alone in Clonaldy National School, but all over. But as we talked about Clonaldy last night, it's done again tonight. And anybody that wants to go up there, just go up, pay your few bob and go in. Right, if you there's can. Still, still a few uh, tickets there, Johnny, if people want to go. Possibly, Jan. Look, friend, uh, the teachers, did you so much? Imagine 160 of them up on the stage last oh, night from fantastic. five year olds to 12 year olds, oh. and not a thing going wrong, you know. My, my friend uh, Pat Murnan was telling me all about it. He was involved there with the sound and the lights last night as well. Oh, that's right, yeah. yeah. Hey, another yeah. great guy. Ah, you know, fantastic. And Pat's fantastic. mother died in the last month, right. Lord of Mercy right. and Sheila. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, but, friend, uh, you can... Uh, next Saturday night, please, God, the 17th, uh, outside in the Hoss Mound, uh, they're presenting uh, the Dylan Quirk Foundation and Seesaw with approximately 5,000 each. And this money, a, a lady said to me the other day in cash, she said... Uh, you mentioned the youngsters, she said, of 17 and 18 for their tractor run. She said they were absolutely thrilled. She said, say thanks to Frank Curry for that. Look, I said, they're all worthy causes uh, and that, and that is absolutely brilliant. But, uh, yeah, Fran, you know, you can picture the scene, Fran, as well, is uh, lying in bed this morning about half five, I woke up and I just said, I gave myself a nudge, two nudges, actually. She was in the deep 
France. And I said to Catherine, I said, uh, you know, we're talking away about the lads when they were small, Siobhan, Gerald and Shane and all of that. And she was going through the phone. Right. And uh, then would, we started Would you woke her up for this? At half I did, yeah. Uh, right. Then we were talking, finally went on to Dr. Howard. I think, was he the geologist? No, not the geologist. <laughs> he was the gynecologist. <laughs> oh, I, I well, there might be a lot of similarities there, come to think of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he, uh, Dr. Ray Howard. A he was a marvellous man. man, wasn't he? Oh, yeah. Jesus, stop by. I mean, he had a white coat on him inside, I think, just for the delivery of Shane. And I had a white coat with me as well. <laughs> The two of us had white coats. That was but, from the AI, though. <laughs> <laughs> and, but anyway, Catherine started left, and next thing was she browsed through the thing, and she thought, oh, Jez, I have good news. I said, don't say you're pregnant. <laughs> she said, I'm not pregnant. She said, how would I be pregnant? She says, your pension arrived in the bank this morning. <laughs> we had some severe words, but look, hey. It's all about the crack. Somebody, somebody said to ask Johnny about his presidential address in the London Irish RFC clubhouse after the Kilfeagle, um 18 won the tournament against the high-fly rugby <laughs> clubs. Of the U- does that make sense to you, Johnny? It does, yeah, friend. Listen, it was unbelievable there. Uh, we ran a bus over. We were probably one of the only clubs ever to run uh, the whole bus over and the youngsters raised money and all of that. But a uh, good friend, I say, wanted to tough go and be with uh, under 18. Oh, Mother of God, above. I didn't sleep a week for 67 hours. We were like herding this mice at the crossroads, I'd say, wasn't Oh, Christ above. We had no chance at all at all with him. But we won the fight. There were wonderful times. Kevin Blake, who does the uh, presenting at the ATR races at Channel, and uh, he's yeah. big into the hospital and all that. Kevin Blake was playing wing forward, and uh, we started off uh, uh, just before the match. Uh, they sang their song, uh, God Save the Queen. So we sang... Uh, uh, Sean South from Gary <laughs> Oh, that was very appropriate, Johnny. <laughs> and Kevin said in his speech before the match, he said, we'll show these crowds, because London Irish were playing the final, he said, we'll show these crowds, it's all the real Irish show. <laughs> hey, Brian, when I think back on those great days, I could write a book called Luby's Believe, Ripley's Believe, Believe It or Believe, believe It Not. Believe It or Believe It Not, yeah. But, Brian, yeah. we called to John Hermine, player and proficient chips and a couple of drinks there. And How is he? Uh, we haven't heard from him for quite a, quite a while. How is he as well, is he? I, he's a, a, one of those great guys. A great mm. place for him to go into. The place is absolutely spotless and he has time for everybody and anybody and the whole lot. Uh, funerals, uh, births, deaths, marriages, divorces. He said he caters for everything. And if you want to have your 70th birthday, he says, in May, I'll be in July. He said, if you want to have it in May, he says, we'll have it started off in May. He said, you can finish up where, where you like. So you're going to have your birthday party in, in Harney's final forum. Well, I'm, I'm, uh, I'll have to run it by Johnny. Well, I, I was thinking that. I was thinking, <laughs> yeah, or Trevor, course, Trevor up in, in uh, Sir Rowan. Uh, 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 and, and Trevor, but uh, we were in Bailey. Uh, on Friday night, I'd uh, the man that walked with the Queen, I'd him over for the course in Clanmel, and he was absolutely thrilled with Bailey's. He said he's one of those wonderful establishments. And then, of course, we went down to Brazil's, and he produced a half dozen black puddings. So, hey, the world, he said, is all right here. Yeah, we don't realise how lucky we are. So, friend, uh, uh, yeah, I'm just looking through it. Uh, uh, will oh, you, yeah, will you give a mention as well? Gurtnahoo Community Association, they're holding their bingo tomorrow uh, evening at 4pm uh, uh, in the 
Gurtnahoo Hall and the doors open there at three and there'll be 2,600 in prize money and looking forward to seeing everybody. Much appreciated and will Johnny come along? Now, the least you could do tomorrow afternoon, go to the bingo. I might take it in the following Saturday because I, I, I hope to be in the house now from the Dillon Quirk. Oh, yes, uh, yes, yes. Seesaw, yeah. Team yeah. Code, like it's only up the road, you know. Mm. Uh, and that. Friend, I just see on the papers the other day, yeah. 120, I'm reading it here, 129 firms got over 1 million in three months for the refugee crisis situation. Mm. It says the top 10 in, in the quarter of 2023, they've it all down. And then to put down who owns the top earning service providers. You'd wonder why the government, like they sold the tolls when they shouldn't have sold them. Mm. But you'd wonder why they didn't buy some of these places. It, it would have been cheaper on the long It would have been run. cheaper to buy, buy places, yeah, I know. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's unbelievable. And then, friend, the misfortunate basketball team, oh, Ireland, yeah, yeah. they go out to take on Israel, was it? Yeah, that's right, yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and there was uproar over the whole thing and so it went into the dial sessions and everything else. You'd wonder what is the world going to? I mean, like the Irish la- uh, ladies' uh, uh, basketball team, they did say, like, what have they to do with the war out there? Well, yeah, well, well, like the, well, the guess thing about that is, I mean, because we'll be talking about it on the panel yesterday, do you, do you think that sport is any place for politics, Johnny, or should it be? I suggest when you bring politics into sport, mm. what are you at then? I mean, sport is sport. They'll be playing a game of chaos. They'll be objecting to that shot because Dumple isn't a native of gold and playing in gold. <laughs> you know that kind of way. <laughs> Anyway, I played Celtic all night with Nelly, Nelly O'Connor. Did you? Did you indeed? I did. I, I hate to say this. She either has a cast in her eye or else she was winking at me all night that she had thumped. <laughs> they had one or the other. And you could get who began it now from... Uh, I, I probably uh, will. I'll be seeing her in the Anacarty Tea Rooms, I would imagine, for breakfast uh, tomorrow. But uh, anyway, I'll pass on your good wishes and, and, and stuff. Anyway, you, you, you're your... concerned before I let you go about the whole Joe Biden thing. Um, oh, yeah. questions friend. around he, his senility now, I suppose. And his memory yeah, come here, minister. They'll just show you about America. Mm. They have a population of 556,475,173. I think, off the top of my head. And imagine they came up with, with uh, Donald Trump and Joe, and Joe Biden. Biden. Yeah, that's the best they could I come mean, up with. Yeah. It is unbelievable. Like, no disrespect to the two men, like, they're fine. I've not, nothing against any of them. Mm. But Mother of God above tonight, you'd wonder. And they have all the scientists in the world, and they have all the gynecologists and the geologists and every kind of analogist that was humanly possible out there. Mm. And they come up with the two lads. I mm. mean, like, the the the, the uh, reporters last night, they were throwing questions at Joe Biden, you know. And he got vexed in. Mm. I mean, I don't know. For any of your friends, if I go to Clark Jordan, I'm going to call to the Obama. The Obama. The Plaza. Obama, uh, yeah, in, in Moneyball. Very good. And they'll be delighted to see you there, I would, would imagine as well. But should, there yeah, you and go. I might, I, and I might call into the great Pat Gilfiley. Imagine he gave up teaching and took up Greyhound training. And then he won a final in Clanmel. He was beaten in a final in Clanmel. And then he was beaten in a semi final in Clanmel. Well, after after teaching greyhound racing, uh, uh, training would be easier, I suppose. A lot easier, yeah. I would imagine. Yeah, he said, you have a constant few pound coming in. But, uh, yeah, friend, and in Clanmel, imagine one man from the home of greyhounds. We'd be talking about the home of Holland and greyhounds in Tipperary, mm. but one man from Kerry, Liam Dowling, he wins the Derby, the Oaks, and uh, the champion stakes, but that's an unbelievable wow. achievement. And the crowd was so big, friend, the first day that they had to shove it back 
over a half an hour to let the crowd to, for the crowd to come in. It's, so, like, look, and well, it was. was it, it struck me it was the biggest one in years, was it, Johnny? Uh, I, I thought there was absolutely so many huge. Yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely huge. You know, and all pubs and uh, restaurants and all that. But the most brilliant thing that happened, Franny, as I go in with an open mind, even though I'm a Greyhound follower, uh, the Hales were absolutely magnificent. I do talk about them when I write a few articles on uh, coursing or on the track scene or whatever the case may be. I'd always talk about the, the Hales and that and that and the way the wildlife people look after them and the veterinary people and all of that, friend. And then you just can't leave off a hair after the meeting say, I left him off at Johnny Loopy's farm or uh, Frank mm. Curry's farm. The wildlife officers do all that, friend. So everything is done with well, the so safety a bit, a bit of, of the supervision. Mind, you know, as as you know, there's a lot of people out there very concerned about it. But anyway, but tell, tell Johnny we love his voice from everybody in Bansha. That's everybody in oh, Bansha Christ, this morning. Hey, I can tell your friend who that is. And when you're passed that? by, there's a free chop down there for you. Healy's Butcher. Oh, yeah, I've, I've passed it loads of times. It looks like a great butcher. Well, no point in passing. Yeah, I sent win. him past he, passed, he said he has to call in. <laughs> I can guarantee you one thing. And if anybody goes in there, yeah. they're... Now, from now until 10 o'clock, sausages, black puddings, and all that thing is at uh, half price. Listen, before I, mean, I let you go, will you wish a happy 50 years married um, because the people you know very well, Golden anniversary, Christy and Alice Ryan Preston from Golden, and that comes oh, in from Deirdre and from Kieran and from Christopher I, and all the grandchildren. The lovely family, aren't they? Great family friend, together. And a great musical family. Oh, for certain. Uh, Deirdre is so talented, yeah. Uh, Oh, God, yeah. above all of my friend. There was even a grandniece last night. I hate picking out junks. So she's only maybe nine or ten. Mm. She held the centre court there. And her ambition seemingly is to play mm. a, uh, to a packed audience uh, when she grows up. Yeah, and I've no great. doubt with the talent that uh, all the girls and boys showed last night that many of them will, will well, friend, a lot of them will take over your job and my job. Well, well they can my have job my job be. at this stage, Johnny. I better go. Be Listen, have a great time in Clock Jordan tonight up there with Kilroan, uh, McDonald's, and all of that. Look after yourself, you Johnny. The, if you're here to have a hoot at three o'clock in the morning, that's a new care for you, man. <laughs> Good, luck. Good luck, Johnny. Good luck. <laughs> bye bye. The great Johnny Luby. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie the HSE has confirmed the death of a man from measles. The HSE's uh, Health Protection Surveillance Centre said the person died in a hospital in the Dublin and Midlands Health region. Now, it uh, said public health teams, along with the HSE Measles National Incident Management Team, are uh, all uh, taking the necessary public health actions in relation to the case and the team was established in response to a recent rise in measles cases in the UK and on mainland Europe as well. Dr John Lambert is a consultant in infectious diseases and he joins me now. Dr Lambert, good morning to you. Good morning. And thanks so much for your time this morning. Just for clarity, what exactly is measles? Well, me- measles is, a, is, a, is usually a childhood illness that causes a rash. Um, the important thing is it's vaccine preventable. All kids get a vaccine called the MMR, which is measles, mumps, and rubella. It's children, and they're protected. 
But before there was a vaccine available, you know, measles, you know, hugely contagious. Everybody would become infected with it. And the complications of measles, of, you know, besides the rash, you get high fevers, it can go to the brain, it can go to the lungs. And, and you know, in olden days, before vaccines were available, it was a killer. And we've got an episode of somebody dying from the complications of measles right here in Ireland now. What is leading to this rise in cases now? Right. Well, we see it's hugely contagious, and and like a, and the WHO says you need you need to have you know most of the population covered, you know, eighty ninety percent coverage. So the issue, very simply, is that less people are becoming vac- vaccinated. You know, these these infections have not disappeared from the world. It's just they're they've disappeared from the Western world because of vaccination, and now they're coming back because of a lack of people being vaccinated. And the percentage of people being vaccinated, for example, at the moment, Doctor, what kind of figures are we talking about and how does that compare to some years ago? Right. Well, the thing is, is that, you know, that the WHO show says that you need to have, you know, they, they, you know over 90 percent. And, and historically, you know, we've, we've been good. We've had 90 percent plus vaccination. But in the last number of years, if you look at the statistics from the HPC and you look at county by county, there's, you know, it's, it's dropping less than 90 and in some places, it's dropping as low as 80%. So that means that some of the population, you know, has not been vaccinated. Secondary, there's an awful lot of people coming into the country who were never vaccinated in the first place. And they're they're also a source of, um, you know, of risk, you know, you know, the adult population coming into the country, uh, immigrants coming to this country. So, so, but the primary issue is, is that deep, the, the vaccination, MMR, is a part of standard childhood vaccination. My, my ch- children received it. Mm. Every parent in Ireland had their kids vaccinated in the GP practice. But what's happening now is people have, have, have not gone to get their kids vaccinated or they said, I'm not go- I don't believe in vaccines and I'm not going to have my children vaccinated. But the end result is we're at a level where the, va- where the virus could spread throughout the country now and affect people who have not been vaccinated. So with 20%, 20% of 5 million people, that's a lot of people who are at risk for acquiring measles. And the vaccine hesitancy where some people are concerned, I mean, is that being driven because there were fears at one stage about links to uh, autism, for example, and right. the like. Can you yeah. allay people's fears where that is concerned? Right. Well, absolutely. Like I said, I, you know, I think you know, that, that there, there is vaccine hesitancy and there was a a big campaign in America years ago about vaccines causing autism, and well, you know that this is this is not the case. I think the biggest risk is if you end up acquiring vaccines. You, if you don't get the vaccine for measles, measles does attack the brain, and it's going to cause brain damage. I think that's much that's a real risk, uh, and I've seen brain damage from you know measles uh, spreading uh, throughout the community. I've seen people die from measles pneumonia. I've seen people die from measles, encephalitis, inflammation of the brain. Um, so I think the the, the the vaccine hesitancy group should should rethink uh, vaccines don't cause autism. Right, and you have no problem vaccinating your own children. No, I have, no, I have, no, no, and no, I, no, I continue no, 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 to. I continue that. to do that. I'm huge. I'm, 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 you know, I'm a huge fan of of vaccines, and I think the, the additional issue is there's been a lot of chaos in the last you know, three, four years to yeah. the healthcare system because of COVID-19. 
So I think there's an additional you know, concern that people have fallen through the cracks just because they haven't had access to, you know, the healthcare system, yeah. you know, like they did because because of the crisis. But but now that we recognize this, it's time for the HSE to get on board to do campaigns to make it easy for for people to be able to go in to get up to get catch up vaccines from MMR if they haven't got it to make and to make sure that all adults and children who are susceptible get their vaccines in in the next few months. Otherwise, we will be seeing. Uh, you know, massive, you know, spreads of, of measles potentially throughout Ireland, just like we have in other European countries. Yeah, and the, the conversations as well and the doubts that some people might have about the COVID vaccine, is that playing into this in some way as well in terms of the hesitancy? Yeah. Well, I think it might. And and, I, and actually that has been, you know, I mean, the issue is, is that the COVID vaccines were rushed through quite quickly they're not preventive vaccines, they're therapeutic vaccines, and most people aren't taking the COVID vaccines now mm. because, you know, there are concerns about the they're, they're reactogenic. Some people have bad reactions to them, you know, they're highly reactogenic. So I think in the first wave of COVID, I think the vaccines were a good idea. But I think at this stage, you know, we're in a different era of, of COVID-19. So I, so I think that all of the discussions about COVID-19 vaccines and people getting repeatedly vaccinated and the fact that they're choosing not to, I think that's not going to make the campaign for the MMR any easier. That's very interesting. If uh, the the caller is wondering, a lady in her 60s who has never uh, had measles, wondering, should she be vaccinated? Well, if she's out and about, you know, I, I think, you know, you know, I would. I, 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 rec- I think everybody should get vaccinated if she's, you know, but especially if she's, she's got young children, if she's working in daycares or her children are going to daycares. You know, the, the, the name of the game is getting, you know, 90% plus of the total population vaccinated. So everybody who's not been vaccinated, who's at risk of catching this virus, should be vaccinated, and that includes 60-year-olds. Right, and you said something that was very interesting uh, just a few moments ago, Dr Lambert, in terms of how the measles vaccine differs from the COVID vaccine. The COVID vaccine doesn't prevent COVID. It, it probably, well, it, most people might, mm. might believe that in some way it, it just makes the symptoms uh, less, less difficult, I suppose. But it, the, the MMR is different in that it does prevent measles. Am I right in saying yeah. that? It, it does, you know. It does. It's, it's, it's kind of a, it's it's a, it's a, an attenuated virus virus form itself. So you're giving people an innocuous virus that's going to protect them when the serious virus comes along, which is different from COVID, which which have been you know mRNA vaccines, adenovirus vector vaccines. Are, it's a whole different technology that's been used. But yes, some vaccines protect against infection. Um, and that's the that's the advantage of the measles vaccine. The COVID nineteen vaccine prevents serious disease, but doesn't prevent infection. It's very interesting. Um, if uh, my immune system is compromised in some way, am I more susceptible to to measles? Do you think if I haven't been um, vaccinated? Absolutely, you are. And back in the olden days, when when HIV patients, when there was no treatment available, that, that I saw measles cases and. HIV positive patients and they wouldn't even show up with a rash which is a classic finding they might just show up with a pneumonia and nobody would even think it was measles so yes so immunocompromised patients are at even more risk of having a bad complication uh, if they acquire measles so so that's an additional population you want to make sure that 
has booster vaccinations uh, against measles. Yes. Is it possible that this could get out of hand in in some way and we might find find things very difficult here? Is that, is that a possibility? I, I don't think so, because like I said, it's not like, look, I, 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 I worked in third world countries. I worked, worked in Haiti in the 1990s and the vaccine coverage in Haiti was 25% and there were 10,000 cases of measles just in a small area that the hospital I worked in and I'd see all these deaths and children and this and that and but we're at 80-90% so I just think if we if we put a campaign on now catch up vaccination for those who haven't received vaccine I think we'll be in good shape but I think I think now's the time to act so I think I think we've got time um, before it gets out of hand but if we delay this you know 6-12 months before we get a campaign for MMR, uh, the measles vaccine, I, I, I think we could be in problem. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think the, the HSE will come on board now, uh, find places, make it easy for people to receive the MMR vaccine, um, and I think we'll be home free. Um, can I, just on something separate, uh, before I let you go, can I ask you about HIV? Because you've been very much involved in, in studies around that particular virus. And those of us of a certain age would remember the horror of the 1980s, Dr. Lambert. Mm. You know, when, I mean, it was a death sentence. I know it's not so much now, but have I heard recently about a rise in the numbers of cases of HIV patients yeah. again? But, well, well the, the rise in the cases, it's just, it, it has to do with lots of factors, including immigration, you know. And, and, and if you look at the, no, the numbers have increased year, year by year in Ireland, but there's also many of those are people who are arriving in Ireland who are pro- previously diagnosed, you know, HIV positive. Come, you know, we have an immigrant population coming here to work from Africa, Asia, South America. So those populations are, are moving to Ireland and they're already on treatment, so they're contributing to the numbers that you're seeing. So there hasn't been a dramatic number of new Irish infections, you know, in the last number of years. Um, would be my take on the statistics. And, uh, that's a very honest answer to me, but very few people are saying that, Doctor Lambert. Well, but that's but but I've looked at the, the statistics, you know, um, oh. and that's really what I mean. That's really what the data is saying, you know. Um, there's new programs in Ireland on PrEP, you know, on pe- people who are at risk for HIV taking tablets to prevent them from catching HIV. So that's decreasing the number of new infections. Um, so so there, there are campaigns on to, 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 you know, educational campaigns to keep people from, you know, putting themselves at risk for acquiring HIV. And there's treatment programs called PrEP, pre-exposure, um, for high-risk patients and there's thousands of patients in Ireland who are on those treatments. Um, so so I, I do think the numbers in Ireland are, you know, that the numbers are increasing, don't represent, a, you know, a surge in, you know, n- new infections that are out of control from previous years. Fascinating. Dr. Lambert, we really appreciate your time. I know how busy you are, and thank you for coming on with yeah. us today. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Thank then. you. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. And that's Dr. John Lambert there, who is a consultant in Infectious. Saying some very interesting stuff, I'm sure you'll agree there. Um, some worrying stuff, too. Uh, we'll take a break back in just a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-1008.
007. Ellie is with me. Ellie, you have some uh, breaking news, some tragic news indeed. Yeah, absolutely yeah. tragic news. Now, we don't have a lot of details on it, but news breaking from County Waterford this morning. An investigation is underway after the body of a young boy was discovered in a car in County Waterford. Now, the boy's body was found in the Dunmore East area shortly after midnight. He's believed to be around six years old. Now, a woman was arrested near the scene. Uh, the current situation is that she's being detained at a Garda station in Waterford and under um, the um, orders in which uh, she is, has been arrested, she can be questioned for up to 24 hours. Uh, it, the statement also says this morning that medical attention as required is also being made available to the woman while she's in custody. Now, the scene of this discovery has been preserved for forensic examination and the state pathologist's office has been informed. So very little little detail on that. I'm sure more will come out over the course of the day and over the course of the weekend. But very tragic and sad news that the body of a six-year-old boy was discovered in a car at Dunmore East in County Waterford just after midnight. Tragic news indeed. Absolutely. Ali, thank, thanks very much thanks, indeed for that, Ali. If you want to speak to Ali, it's 1800 938 007. Quite a lot of people picking up on what Dr Lambert said to me there. Teresa was on to say, Fran, we all know that uh, immigration is causing a surge in these infections, but we're not allowed to say anything. We were put on a vow of silence. And uh, that's uh, what we're reduced to at this stage. Uh, Barry says, uh, great to hear such an honest, upfront doctor on the show, Fran. Um, uh, Dr. Lambert is the sort of doctor I trust, not the sort for just uh, strictly uh, singing from the HSE hymn sheet all of the time. Yeah, I, I have to say I was taken aback uh, by his, his uh, honesty. And let me just tell you, this is a man with uh, incredible credentials. You know, he's a consultant in infectious uh, diseases. And uh, he's been practicing uh, practicing in, in Dublin as a consultant at uh, the Mather University Hospital, the Rotunda Maternity Hospital, teaching appointments in UCD School of Medicine. Uh, director of the National Isolation Unit for Highly Infectious uh, Disease. He's worked outside of the country. He's been involved in sexual health strategy groups in, in Ireland, uh, teaching uh, GP in Ireland um, on the subject of STDs. His training was in the United States. And it goes on and on. This is a very, very, very highly qualified uh, guy altogether. And that's what he told us this morning. Um, Interesting. All right, what do you make of that? 1800-938-007. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067-24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on. On 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Thanks, Pat. Welcome back to the second hour of Tip Today. A lot of very specific questions coming in. Uh, about uh, the measles vaccine and really you would be best 
uh, place to, to speak to your GP, I would imagine, where that is concerned, because uh, some people saying to us that we're not sure of whether or not we're vaccinated, and that's a very good point. Uh, indeed, I think it's probably best for you to speak to your uh, GP where that is concerned. Um, somebody saying, my, my son went to high school in America. He could not attend school unless he had all of his vaccines. Um, okay. Um, Right, and there's all sorts of other bits and pieces I need to read through. Uh, but another listener says, lads, uh, regarding measles, uh, personally, I think it's only the beginning because I do think it's uh, uh, too great a stretch to think, not too great a stretch, that should read, I suppose, to think that we're going to start seeing more and more diseases making a comeback because people would prefer to listen to some idiot on Facebook rather than a medical professional when it comes to vaccinations. 0833113311. Now, over the last few days, we've been talking about roads and roundabouts and cycle lanes and footpaths and all sorts of stuff, and it followed on from news that uh, a roundabout in Cashel had just been uh, constructed, was ripped up because the engineers realised that it just wasn't practical and wouldn't work. And it led to a broader discussion about road infrastructure. And Podrick Hulbert joins me now. Good morning to you, Podrick. Good morning, Fran. How are you? Uh, I'm very well and lovely to talk to you again. Um, you have concerns about road structures in Tipperary Town, Podrick, I think? Well, I think Tipperary Town is an example of... Um, and if you permit me, Fran, and it's not like me, I want to be a bit provocative here... Mm-hmm. Um, the story about the roundabout in Cashel is no different in key ways to the trouble we had in Tipperary Town with David Street and Church Street um, with what was attempted to be done along the main street by the council and what is about to be done on the Cashel Road in Tipperary Town. And the single, I suppose, distinguishing factor is people aren't happy mm. and things are done in a way that people feel they're being ridden roughshod over by engineering decisions that treat areas as if they were only roads, whereas in fact they are also places where people live. And that that dimension of it comes second. Uh, In the Tipperary Town example, for example, Davis Street and Church Street, a fairly heavily populated area, both sides Mm -hmm. of the road, lots of terraced housing, lots of requirement for parking, lots of requirement for people to come and go from their houses. Um, But then these massively high curbs were put in uh, build-outs were done that took away parking spaces. Uh, and I know the elected representatives at the time did a, a Trojan job in trying to match the requirements of the engineers and the requirements of the residents to try and find some middle ground. But all of that came from a very autocratic and authoritative position by the council where there is a presumption that they can do whatever they want and a presumption literally that they only have to go through the motions of a Part 8 application. In other words, receive written submissions from a handful of people, you know, mm. a, a fraction of the community that's affected by what they're about to do, and then um, dismiss a lot of those submissions mm. as being, you know, not relevant or whatever. Yes, because they're not bound in any way to take on board any submission, really. Uh, and, you see, Fran, this is the provocative bit, right? They are. There's actually are an they? international... Co- yes, there's an international convention to which Ireland is a signatory, which it's Article 25 of that says, the allocation of powers and the means by which individual citizens exercise the right to participate in the conduct of public affairs protected by Article 25 should be established by the Constitution and other laws. Citizens may participate directly by taking part in popular assemblies which have the power to make decisions about local issues 
or about the affairs of a particular community. So it's there. Ireland is signatory to this convention. So the Council of Europe did a bit of research to find out, well, look, that article is there, Article 25. People are entitled to participate in decisions that affect them. How are countries doing? Now, I don't have the specific data about Ireland and certainly not about Tipperary Mm. County Council. But they did find that in large areas there's a very formulaic approach to consultation. So what you tend to get here is the drawings are already done. You know, like they're ready to go. Okay, they haven't gone to tender, but they, they know exactly what they want to do. What they're actually supposed to do before they do any of that is say, here's what we're thinking of doing, and then draw it up, taking into account what they heard. But do they not, uh, here am I uh, taking the side of the authority for a change, do they not do that in some cases? And I'm thinking about, for instance, now I know it's chaotic in terms of its complexity, but the N24, for example, right from the very beginning, people spoke about different routes, different ideas on routes, and, you know, was there not initial consultation on something like that, for example, Baudrick? Yeah, what they did was they they initially, well, I suppose what they did was they initially picked a corridor X number of miles wide, and then they gradually narrowed that in consultation with with people. That doesn't necessarily mean, though, that what people said was taken into account. It means that they did have the interaction with people, and they sat up in the hotel, and they they explained the project. And that's good. I'm not putting that down. Mm. But you, you need to go the next step, I suppose, and... Some universities somewhere should maybe research what submissions were made yes. and what changes were made as a result of those submissions. And, and the, the, the act that you read out to me there, how would that work in practical practice? Like, like you know, would it be democratic in some way that, you know, enough people believe that the, the footpath should not be as wide? Or what, How would that work practically? Well, it, it, practically, on a practical level, it would be much more difficult for the local authorities without a doubt. Because they would, if if the overwhelming feeling of a community was, you know, for example, we don't want that road, uh, like for example, in Tipperary Town, it did work democratically because on the main street they wanted to mm-hmm. dig up the main street for a year and a half, yes. put in high curbs, and reduce all of the parking on Main Street and Bankless to four parking spaces, mm-hmm. which is going to be a, a restriction on shopping when you have free shopping yes. on the, the edge of the town. But the punishment so, now for turning that down, Patrick, is that you have a main street that is in tatters. You know, it really needs yeah, resurfacing. Yeah, and who's in charge of that? Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? There were actually people at the time, councillors, who said, I can't believe you're turning your back on this money. Yeah, I know. I, I, I remember, funny, yeah. <laughs> I find that a funny thing, you know, because if, if somebody said, look, we'll you give you loads of money for poison, I can't believe you're turning your back on it. <laughs> this was going to shut down so many shops and disable yeah. the town. It was turning it into a traffic drain, basically, for the N24. And the other great example in Tipperary Town has to be that roundabout on the Galbally Road, for example, where we heard from truck drivers saying, but you look, we can't get around it, you know. We have to oh. go up on the pavement. Absolutely, uh, friend. You're, you're, I, I drive over it. I drive through that intersection multiple times every day. It's bizarre. If you stand there on a dry day, right? Because in, in the west, everything gets washed off. Stand there after maybe a dry week, if you find one of those in Ireland, mm. and look at the corners of the footpaths. They're black with yeah. rubber yeah. from heavy vehicles that have no option but to drive on the footpath to get around the corners. And, and, do you know what I'm saying? So that, that's a, 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 a good point. How Although does that work, Padraig, in your experience? It, I mean, does some guy go to a piece of software on the computer and simulate what, 
you know, the the area and then make a decision based on, I, I don't know, algorithms or something. Is is that how it's done? If if it was a software-based decision, what happened at the top of O'Brien Street and the Galbaugh Road there, I hope it's freeware. I hope they're not paying a licence for <laughs> yes, it. Because it's, it's dreadful, dreadful. It's absolutely dreadful. It makes no sense whatsoever. But And there was consultation with some people in the community at the time. But they did raise, will this work from a vehicle point of view? Yes. And they were assured by the engineers, yes, it will. And, and it does Well, I, I remember at that time, we had truck drivers on this programme telling them yeah. ahead of time, that is not going to work. That is just not yeah. going to work. Yeah, absolutely. It could have been a straightforward crossroads. Yeah. But that would be too simple. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, you're getting cynical now, Padre Connolly, uh, which, which I, I can't imagine why. The other thing, too, is um, I, I'm not sure. Are you aware of the one on Bohr Clock Street in Cashel that all the controversy is about? I'm not. Only what I see on, on, on yeah. the images. And stuff well, that ba- basically, they had a heightened one there, and then the, that was torn down. And now they're sort of back to a, a much simpler version of that because they discovered. It, 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 it wouldn't have worked. But the amount of money wasted. Now, we asked for a statement no. from, from the council. Um, we got a statement, but we got no indication about how much money was wasted along the way. But it would have been an incredible sum, I would imagine. Look, we're revising decisions is, um, is a pattern that's worrying from a cost point of view, but also a disruption to people point of view. So if a project is twice as long because it has to be redone because it wasn't properly thought out in the first place, that's not only financially bad, but it's bad for the community. For example, in Tiberi Town, one of the questions we put in submission when they were going to be digging up the main street and Bang Place was, is this it? So if you dig it up, will all of the water mains be replaced? Will all of the ducting for the various services be put in place? So it never has to be dug up again. And they were kind of slow to answer, so we pressed them and they said, look, have you worked with Irish Water on this so that anything they might need to do in three years' time is done now? Answer, no. They had the money to do the road. They were going to do the road. So it could have been the case that the business shopping community in Tiberi Town would have had a year and a half of the road being dug up, only to be dug up shortly again afterwards. Are you serious? Yes, they had not integrated with Irish Water before they proposed to um, redo all of the the main street and, and bank place. We were shocked when that answer came back. Does it also concern you that... Um ideology is imposed on some of this decision-making uh, as well. And again, I point to the Care Road in, in Cashel. The, the cycle lane there, it's again taking up road space. Uh, it's narrowing the the road as far as I can see. Um, and very few people using it. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Now, I, I have to say I'd be in favour of providing... It's like um, I was with the Department of Transport in Australia one time we went to a small town that said, they didn't need wheelchair accessible taxis, or the taxi company said there was nobody looking for them. But you're like, you put something in place, and then you find people will use it. So, okay, now I don't know the exact circumstances there, and if it's making life really difficult, then you have to you have to take a balance on it and say, you know, what's better, no bicycle lane or bicycle lane. So I, I don't know the exact yeah. situation there, but I'd be I'd be in favour of putting capacity for things like bicycle lanes, and again, David Street and Church Street into Town. They narrowed the carriageway, so two trucks, their wing mirrors are nearly touching. Yeah. I'd hate to put a bicycle on that road, you know, because and it's what, what was the point of that? I mean, okay, you widen the footpaths and maybe it makes it more comfortable for pedestrians. I I, I don't know. But, like, am, am I sort of conspiracy theorist here by saying that was it to narrow the road 
and and maybe I don't know, keep traffic out or something. Well, was there something in that? Um, well, ostensibly, and you've you've I, I don't know you you've un, you've dug out another nugget here. Um, when we asked them that, we said, "Why are you narrowing the road?" And they said, "It's traffic calming." So then we dug into when is traffic calming put in place? It's put in place where there's a history of serious incidents along that stretch of road that would warrant the slowing down of traffic. So that's that's the stock answer we were given. You know that uh, Transport Infrastructure Ireland had said, "No, this is a road that needs traffic calming." So we asked, "On what does what's that decision based on?" And they said. It's on road safety authority data about incidents, traffic incidents, and they're graded from fatalities down to minor incidents. So we went back and looked, and the furthest we could go back was 2015, and there had been no data of any significant traffic incident on David Street or Church Street in Tipperary Town that would warrant the narrowing of the carriageway. But they did it anyway. Okay. And you'll recall, I think, Frank, they took a lane away on Bridge Street in Tiberi Town, yeah. which is now traffic carnage at school times. Uh, and when the co-op trucks were trying to get up and down the street, they took away a lane and widened the footpath by seven or eight feet for no reason other than the engineer said it should be done. So, like, there's a lot of frustration out there because of a, an autocratic, authoritarian a view to where we live. This is about where we live. Uh, and that's not taken into account enough, in my view. And, and traffic calming there, so the traffic is at a standstill most, most of the time. It, it, it's drivers you need to calm now. Are you seeing anything that might lead you to believe that, you know, I mean, people power changing this in any way, Padraig? Or... Uh, look, um, there, there's been huge people power, as you know, mobilised in Tiberi Town in, in recent years. And um, has it been that has it been effective? I would say no. For example, we lobbied to get the town bypassed from the outset. Yeah. Thousands of people marched. The Minister for Transport, Eamon Ryan, said, Oh yeah, we'll prioritise Tipperary Town. My understanding is the council would if they had their way prioritise um care to Waterford um for the the project. And lo and behold, it might I might sound uh, a little bit, you know, um paranoid here. But the care to Palace Green section of it was about a year and a half ahead of the care to Waterford section. Yes, it's watch phase now, three though. as opposed to phase two or something, isn't it? Yes, yeah. watch now though. The two projects are coming very close to neck and neck. So the care to Waterford one has, is catching up quickly as delay after delay after delay happens in the care to Palace Green one. So you you know, well, I'm sure you do, in the political world when major capital projects come to the cabinet table or whatever, that influence from government you know, representatives is, is, is important. Um, there is far more political sway from Care to Waterford, given that it involves Waterford and Kenny mm. and South Tipperary, than there is between Care and Palace Green, part of which is Limerick. So... So what are you saying to me, Patrick? What, what, what would the outcome of that be? I think if both projects come to, to a, for a decision, I think that the care to Waterford section of that will be prioritised. So Tipperary Town will be abandoned again? That's what I believe, yes. Uh, that, that's very sobering for an awful lot of people in Tipperary Town, like who? Well, in, in conversation, anecdotal conversation around the place, a lot of people are saying that we'll never... That's the the word on the street around here, and no action by the council, who's the lead agency in the project, 
would give me any comfort that they are actually doing what the minister wants. Well, um, that's that's uh, certainly food for thought, Podrick. That's that's for sure. Um, great to talk to you, Podrick, and thanks for your time this morning. Thank you. Okay, take Thank care. Thank you. Bye bye. You know, that's Podrick Colbert speaking to us uh, there. Eighteen hundred nine three eight double zero seven. If you're listening to us from Tipperary Town. Uh, this morning, you might like to respond to that in some way. Um, a listener says the care road in Cashel has been destroyed. Two bicycle lanes, two grass areas, and then the footpath. If an overwide vehicle has to travel on it, they have to close the road. It's absolute madness. Well, it's particularly madness at the moment because when you get down towards St. Patrick's Hospital there, you have the um, what is now becoming a tourist attraction, the, <laughs> the roundabout there. Um, all right then, lots more coming in. I'll have a look through it and I'll bring it to you in just a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip Today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Welcome back to Tip Today. Ali, you have an unusual one. I do, just a quick one. We had a call from Dan who rang into the show this morning and he found a notebook in Thurless yesterday and he's looking to to reunite the book with its owner. Now, it's very interesting because he found it on Cathedral Street, so it's right across from the presentation about 6pm yesterday. So where, I suppose, assuming it might belong to a student, but he said it's a beautiful notebook and it has uh, pages and pages of beautiful um, sketches of horses and it also details the lineage of certain horses and talks about a, vi- uh, a recent visit to Coolmore and getting a train to Dublin. He said there's also a birthday card in it and it says to Tiara or to Tiana. Uh, that's the name on the birthday card and he's trying to track down the owner. So if anyone thinks that they might know who owns it, also on the cover on the cover of the notebook it says thoughts and doodles of an undiscovered genius. <laughs> So we're looking to reunite the book so it's with a its witty owner. Young person, as it, well, we think so. Yeah, and given the fact that it was found outside the school, now he said when he found it, it was completely dry. There was no damage to it, and it had just started raining. So he reckons whoever dropped it had only just dropped it. Right. So he said there's so many beautiful sketches, and he said a lot of work went into it. So he really wants to find. So parents the owner. could be listening to us today that would identify. They that. could. So we reckon the name Tiara or Tiana maybe is the owner of this notebook. But if you know who owns it, um, get in contact with us because uh, we have Dan's number and we can reunite okay. you with what the book. What was it called here. again? Doodles of a what? Doodles, uh, thoughts and doodles of an undiscovered genius. <laughs> is that brilliant? We should get that for you. I think it's absolutely <laughs> well, this, is it. this is it. Ellie, thanks, thanks very much indeed. Thank you. Um, and again, if you want to talk to Ellie, it's 1800 Now, we heard from Michael yesterday and he was speaking about driving lessons and uh, many listeners got in touch uh, to uh, speak to us about driving lessons, uh, various different things around that. But Michael's main point was he felt 12 lessons was too many. He said if you couldn't drive a car after six lessons, well, you know, you should give up on it. Uh, Willie was on to us and joins me now. Willie, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. How are you? Uh, great, great, great to talk to you. You think the whole driver license situation is kind of laughable at this stage, Willie? Yeah, I mean, that's, 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 they're nearly from the Victorian area to the stage of our strong cats were nearly on the go and badly, badly to be overhauled. But yeah, I mean, the, the, 12, the 12 lessons thing, 
look, it's a grand cash cow for you know, all the driving schools and all the rest of it. But it, it's treating everybody as if they're starting from the same point. I mean, one size fits all is fine if you're buying a woolly hat, but that's about all. You know, they're, they're like, I take people from a rural area or a farming background. The vast majority of them are driving, you know, doing bits of work on the farm since they were 12, 13, 14 mm. years of age. By the time they're 17 or 18, I'd say they could drive the bus around the t- Liberty Square better than the driving instructor could. Do you know, you're, still, you're making a very good point. Obliged. That, that never yeah. even dawned on me that, yeah, not everybody is starting from the same place. And, and they're not still mandated to have to do the 12, 12 lessons. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, or even with, say, you want, you, you, I, I have 30 plus years full driving full driving experience, never had as much as a bump or a scrape. And if I wanted to start in another category, the bigger van or a small truck or whatever else, I'm obliged to start from scratch again as if it is the first time I got into it and, and start again with 12 lessons on on another provisional licence. Uh, you know, it's just, it's just so what about a solution, Willie? What, what do you think should be the case? Well, look, Fran, I mean, these things are brought in uh, by, I don't know who brings them in, the people that get to the echelons of these civil service offices. I wonder, do they ever sit down and actually look at some of the nonsense that they come out with? But just maybe in relation to some of yesterday's programme, I mean, people were doing this thing about there's there's no motorway driving uh, being examined. Yes, I mean, yeah. I mean, look, if you were to sit down and apply a small bit of reason or logic to that, I mean, that's complete and utter nonsense. I mean, there are entire regions of the country where there is no motorway network whatsoever. I mean, are you going to ask the people from Donegal or Kerry or wherever to go on a 200-mile round trip in the middle of their driving lesson or their driving test to find a bit of motorway to drive on to pass them out on? I mean, there's no But do you not think it's a bit strange, though, Willie, that, you know, if you do pass your test, you're entitled then to go on to the motorway and you've never been on the motorway uh, before mm-hmm. I know, with my own son, when he got his test, and I brought him onto the motorway for the first time, he was terrified. I mean, he was, mm-hmm. he was genuinely terrified about it. You know. Well, I think Fran, we're treating the the test, the road test, as a kind of the end of the, the process, and it's anything but. I mean, yeah. it's an examination of a fairly basic level of competency. It's it's not the end; it's the beginning of the end, almost in terms of making someone good a good, competent driver. Good point. I mean, it's, it's a basic level of competency and take it from there. It's yeah. not the end of the process. And I think that's that's something that has been lost in the whole conversation. I mean, you couldn't seriously expect people from the tip of Kerry or Donegal or Mayo or anywhere else to get 200 miles up in the car with the driving instructor to find a bit of motorway to drive on. I mean, and, and the whole essence of a national test is that it's the same nationally. It doesn't matter whether it's the leaving cert or the driving test or a college exam or whatever else. It has to be standard and uniform and across the board. You can't have one lesson for Tiberi and another lesson for Leash or Carlo or wherever it is. And what are you taking from the situation with road deaths over the last couple of years? I mean, even here in Tipperary last year, it was just so tragic and near the kind of numbers. Um, and it appears, certainly driving in the mornings, Willie, I, I see some really stupid, crazy stuff going. Now, I was no angel over the years that I car myself, but really, really stupid stuff going on. Oh, and it, it appears to be worse over the last while, you know. Yeah, I, I see people driving, Bran, and I wonder sometimes, have they a debt wish to think yeah. they do? They're yeah. just bananas. But like, a lot of it comes down, and, and there's a spike in accidents. I know we've had a terrible, we've had a 
two or three terrible incidents mm. in Tipperary over the last year. But it's it's 99% of it is down to the sheer volume and traffic. There's a volume and traffic today. I mean, when I when we were kids growing up, we had a bit of land up the road. We could walk cows up and down to it. Yeah. No problem. And today, you'd want two people with you nearly to go across the road from True. one gate to another. True. Sheer volume of traffic. And we're not living in, in major urban areas mm. out in the middle of the country. But mm. that's the volume of traffic is still there. It's massive. It's just crazy. And that's that's what's leading yeah. to the increase in, in accidents. It's just pure volume of traffic. Yeah. Well, you're de- you're dead right about that because when I was a kid, we loved the notion of the bicycle, and we we'd go out mm-hmm. cycling out of Cashel, out towards Dundrum, and all of that. But our kids, even though we live in Anacarty now, out, out in the sticks, and they never had a bicycle because I always figured it was too dangerous. Yeah, you would you would literally be hard in your mouth. To, yeah. And we're only half a mile out of the village or less than you'd part me in your mouth to say, yeah, cycle yeah, off down there. Yeah. But like the aspects of the whole thing is just whoever makes up the rules are crazy. I mean, I, I see something coming up there now with the school buses, for example. Mm. Mm. And there's many, many small bus operators in the rest of the country operating the school bus system. And bang, your drivers are generally part-timers because it's a few hours in the morning, a few hours in the evening, suits retired or people who are stepping back a bit from full-time work. And 70 years of age, bang, rug is pulled from under you. Mm. You could be driving the school bus on the Friday evening, Monday morning, you're suddenly too dangerous to drive the bus it's anymore crazy. because you turn 70. Crazy. Mad stuff. Mad crazy. stuff. Mad stuff. Mm. I mean, I, I see a guy locally here that will come from this year sometime. He's a He's walking greyhounds morning, noon, and night. If he's not doing that, he's drawn turf and foot and turf half the summer. He's fitter than you and me put together, but he, <laughs> he never drank or smoked a day in his life. And still, bang, he won't be able to drive the school bus on a Monday once he blows out the birthday cake candles over the weekend. And there's a shortage of drivers. And uh, as you say, he is experienced and reliable and all. It's just madness, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I just wonder who, who in the name of God do these Mandarins or Sir Humphreys that get to the top of some of these government departments, do they ever actually sit down and read back some of the nonsense that they come but, up with? But it's read? okay to be President of the United States if you're 82, like. <laughs> with the buttons for the nuclear, for the nuclear arsenal in no, his lunchbox. You're right. <laughs> and again, I hadn't thought about all of this until you brought it. Well, it is nonsense, isn't it? Complete Oh, nonsense. my God. The things, the things some of them come up with is just, is just crazy. I mean... Look, I mean, another issue that's there with these trailer licenses for mm. 99% of people who are out there have effectively no license because they're only covered for a small little jog of a trailer, a jog of turf. That's about it, 750 kilos. Anything else, you need a, a whole new license regime. Start again, 12 lessons, etc., etc. Yes. It's just a cash cow. It's a cash cow, that's all it is. All right, Willie. No, uh, no, no sense or logic to it. And and at the same time, Fran, Johnny on his first job out of school doing his leavings or her TY can be put up behind the wheel of 200 horsepower tractor doing 50, 60 kilometres up and down the road with 20 tonne behind him. And that's legal. Do you know, you've given me even more reason now to be absolutely off my head tonight. In terms, <laughs> I, 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 you know, I sometimes sit in the evenings and I think about stuff like this and I get more and more annoyed and you've given me food for even more annoyance tonight now. But thanks, Willie. Great to talk to you. Fran, I do apologise for setting you over the edge. <laughs> <laughs> I was there and thereabouts anyway. Good luck, Willie. Bye-bye to you now. Bye-bye. Take care. Thanks very much to you. That's uh, Willie speaking to us there. Uh, as you know, I'm a big fan of uh, Down Your Way with uh, Eamon O'Dwyer.
and uh, for this week's programme, Eamon, is uh, James O'Leary's Kitchen in Temple Derry. So here's a little taste of this week's uh, Down Your Way. Well, we're here in O'Leary's Kitchen, here in the house, let's say, in the heart of, 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 of Temple Derry. Kathleen, how are you? I'm good, Eamon. Thank you so much. And you're very, very welcome in our house. Thank you very much for the great invitation to be down here. And you have, you can't get them in the door here to such a crowd. <laughs> <laughs> It's absolutely fantastic, and you're delighted with yourself, are you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Good, good for the invitation. Thanks, Thank Adrian. Thanks very much. Okay. Bye bye. Good. good to say hello. James O'Leary, how are you? Very good, Eamon. You're very, very welcome. Very welcome, and it's a great night. And maybe what makes this night so special is we've all our neighbours here. Yeah, which is brilliant. Brilliant, brilliant. You know, no money would buy the people that are here tonight. You know, they're fantastic. And they're all our neighbours. We've no one, no one from Cork or Kerry or Limerick and that. They're all, they're all so. Yeah. The home of Temple Beautiful, beautiful song. Uh, yeah. Where did that song come from? Well, uh, uh, a Kenyan. Uh, um, um, a man wrote, uh, composed that ages and ages ago. And down, he was down from Temple Derry, and uh, but then it was quite prolonged. But it was always uh, uh, the common black slab will be thrown in the monument. But then we did raise a great monument. Nicholas is here. Nicholas is one of the people, one hundred percent responsible for. We built the centre in in honour of this man down yes. in Temple Derry. Yes, Father Kenyon, is it? Father Kenyon, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So like, that's the story, and in the story of uh, yourself as well. Grew up here. I grew up here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in in nineteen forty three, I I, <laughs> I grew up here. I tell people now just fifty three and put myself back a bit. <laughs> I didn't think I was feeling as old as that, you know. But but that's this. Yeah. You know. And your family, uh, of course, you went to school locally in Temple Derry, didn't no, you? No, I went to school in Gortnagoona. Gortnagoona was straight across the road, okay. and Derry. I don't know why we went up there, but went up there to school anyhow. Okay, then yeah. I went to Flannan's for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. My father got sick, and I came home. Okay. I was, I was happy day he got sick actually. Yeah. Well, thanks. Oh There's a great old story about uh, about Temple Derry, isn't it? You know the the landmarks this year. Yeah. 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 Ah, yeah. T- Temple Derry is a fine, it's a great parish. You know, a lot of people think you know Temple Derry is all hills. It's not. It's some some of the best land countries in Temple Derry. And all the cows are in Temple Derry, and, and they're great farmers. And 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 uh, you know, you have a, you have a lot going in Temple Derry, really. Mm-hmm. And there is, of course, and we know. I can't remember the place. Kennedy's, of course, uh, up the top of the hill. It was fantastic. Yeah, we did a number of radio programs there over there. And Kennedy. Uh, uh, down in Killeen. Down in Killeen. Yeah, yeah, pub yeah. down in Killeen. Yeah, and. Anne and Jerry, yeah, yeah and, and, very and, good. And Pat as well, of course. Yeah. And Pat, yeah, that's right. Yeah, they're great people. And the father was always a powerful man. You know, we were great GEA man. Phil, mm-hmm. grand man, powerful man. So that's a part of your life with GEA. But did you learn? Did GEA go to school? Well, I was always. This was, it was always a great GEA house. Mm. Always, and when we were children, we'd get the the weekly paper. And my mother would read it out. Read out about all the matches, every match. And I had an aunt living down in Lara. And we had a special interest in Lara and Tony Redden and this and but we all was, we all and as youngsters, my mother would tackle up the horse and trap and take us to Dollar mm. to the match. We'd only have one match a year though. <laughs> yeah, but uh, to be a great occasion and everybody'd have such an interest. We all had people in the house. Mm. And for a week or fortnight before that match, we'd not really talk about the match coming up and going to the match and how they get to it and so forth. Yeah. No cars, no nothing, with bicycles. And we're lucky to have a bicycle. Talking for about a month afterwards, if you're talking it about it. It would, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. yes. That's true, yeah. 
When the simple times, weren't they? They were great times. They were great times. They were great times. We all said people here, we called it Courtique. But every night of the week, bar Saturday night, they wouldn't come Saturday night. But then you didn't have many dances. You only danced now and again in Barcelona or something like that. And then. Did, so, did platform dances around here? Yeah, platform. We had a couple of platforms. Mm. And they were very good. Very good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and Plenty of matches were made around here. I'm sure I was a few, mate. I always remember. I always you remember. You're looking around there to see where I, the I, 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 I remember. I always remember. I was only a youngster. There was a, there was a platform up in Green Anne. And the only couple I ever remember, maybe I was only about nine or ten, I don't know why my mother and we were coming from somewhere. And a couple were leaving the platform. And it was Michael Ryan's father and mother, God rest their souls, oh, were, coming, were coming from the platform. I always remember them coming from the platform in Green Anne. Yeah, a special time, yeah, special it? time, mm. special time. It was an unbelievable time, you know. Yeah, yeah. They were very simple people, and they were so happy. They were so happy, you know. And the, the world has changed dramatically since. What happened when you left school at twelve or thirteen? Well, I, I, I went to Flannan's then for a few years. I was maybe I was fifteen, going sixteen when I came home, mm. and then I had to I had to work. It was hard all going. My father wasn't in good health, and with a lot of our land it was difficult, difficult to get a going. Yeah, and but you told me it was very level land around here. Well, it's very level. It's yeah. very level around here. It's very level. We are surrounded with hills, okay. and we have the advantage of the hills too. But we don't have cold weather. We don't have windy weather, okay. and even to protect us from the sun as well, we'd be less to burn. Okay. Okay. So, so it has its advantages. So when you took over the farm as a young lad, I did. Yeah, I did. I was young from my mother and myself, and 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 we were dragging and in. A lad came from Offaly, mm-hmm. and he he took us. <laughs> <laughs> He put a different, he put a different slant on the thing, you know. Things, things had to be done a little right then when he came around the place. And, uh, the, the, cotton, the cotton was over him, and I'm right in saying he's still here. He's still here. <laughs> <laughs> that's about that's nearly forty years ago. He's still here, and it's better he's getting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing, man, will stay in the one place all over the years and uh, really be part of a family. Really. Actually, he's, just, he's, just, he's the boss, sir. Right? Yeah. The boss never. He yeah. couldn't go. We'd all have to go then. Well, that's what uh, local radio is all about. Absolutely wonderful. That's uh, Eamon, down your way, live from James O'Leary's kitchen in Temple Derry, and you can hear it in its entirety this coming Saturday morning from 10. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Make your valid. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter, or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Time now for farming news, and uh, glad to be joined this morning by the news editor of the Irish Farmers Journal, Amy Ford. Amy, good morning to you. Good morning, Brian. Good to talk to you today. Your own analysis piece today in the uh, journal around the farmer protests uh, that are sweeping across uh, Europe, certainly where France is concerned. Uh, The farmers did uh, achieve concessions there. They did, and I suppose protests are still ongoing, you know, in in Latvia, Bulgaria, and in other countries, Spain especially as well, this week. um, It's something that has abated in, in Germany and France and Belgium, um, but in other parts of the EU, they are um, still continuing. Um, I suppose the French farmer siege of Paris, it ended late last week and, and farmers did get concessions, as you said. Um, so their French Prime Minister, he scrapped plans to increase the tax on green diesel, mm-hmm. which had really brought farmers out to the streets, promised better import controls and, and vowed to accelerate cap payments to farmers. And I suppose one thing that farmers are concerned about 
um, is is the Mercosur deal, and that's the mm. deal that the EU is still kind of working out with um, South American countries, um, which would essentially allow um, a certain amount of of their beef into the EU, which is produced uh, to lower standards compared to EU farmer standards, and that's something that they're really concerned about. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, there were some descriptions of the Irish um, protest, or indeed, as we call it here, a show of solidarity, as being rather benign by comparison with the ferocity of what we saw across mainland Europe. Uh, Amy, is that is that fair? Do you, do you think? Um, so yeah, I suppose. Look, as you said, it was a show of solidarity, um, a, a solidarity protest rather than. Um, a protest we might have seen in other years where maybe farmers, um, you know, march on, on Dublin or or bring cattle places mm. and they've brought, you know, cows places in recent years and so on. Um, the French are kind of known for their protest action. Yeah. It's not a new thing. Um, they have often, you know, sprayed sprayed dung on buildings or, or mm. lit things on fire outside key buildings. It's, you know, it's not really a new thing. Um, the Irish protest was a show of solidarity um, but also, you know, at the, the amount of over-regulation that farmers feel is, is placed on them by Europe. Yeah, it's interesting. And staying with uh, farming, it's interesting about the methane target cut as well from the EU's climate uh, plan. Can you can you explain that to us, Amy? Yeah, so um, earlier yeah, earlier this week, I'm trying to remember what week it was, Brad, <laughs> yes. earlier this week the um, European Commission announced that uh, it plans, it, it has recommended that the EU should essentially cut greenhouse gas emissions by 90% by, by 2030, um, by 2040, excuse me. Um, and it had been reported that there would, that, that plan, which is has over 600 pages there, um, would contain um, a line or two to say that methane emissions from the agriculture sector should be cut by up to 30%. Um, but this target was actually cut from the target, this target was cut from the plan. Um, and it's understood that following weeks of, of the EU-wide former protests that, that that is part of the reason for the cut in the plan. Um, further um, issues such as wording around proposals to price emissions from farm output into food costs and that had, had faced intense opposition from DG Agri, which is basically the, the European Commission's Department of Agriculture, if you want to call it, it regulates agriculture in the EU. Um, that has also been left open in the plan. So it'll be interesting to see um, where that goes in, and where what other, I mm. suppose, regulation might be placed on the sector or how that might come to be in, in future plans down the line. But for the moment, they're left out of this target for 2040. And to be parochial about it, how will that affect Irish farmers? So that'll depend, obviously, if there's a if there's a target to cut methane emissions set out by the EU, that'll have to be transposed, obviously, then down to each and every member state. And that'll basically mean that um, if, if it was to come into being, Irish farmers would have to cut their methane emissions. How would they do that? So at the moment, I suppose something that's been that's been that's been said by many commentators across um, across the board is, you know, the, the simple thing is to cut the herd essentially. Um, however, um, Chagas would have said that the the MAC it's MAC measures, so it's targeted measures that mm. farmers can carry out to cut all emissions on their farms. Total implementation of of their measures on farms would not result would not would result in farmers not needing to cut the herd um and like like things like um feed additives which cut like three nop it's it's been approved in a number of countries canada most recently it's a it's basically a, a dressing you could put on feed for for cattle essentially and it regulates methane and, and cuts their their methane emissions so um that's really mm-hmm. left open to 
to how it would be that's you know a few years away from being here in Ireland there is trials being carried out in it um, but also the fact that the, the methane emission target isn't in, in, the, in the, the plan there means that we don't need to um, look at that mm. in detail while we still do need to cut emissions from the sector including methane emissions and farmers will say they're working their damnedest to do that um, it's, it's not front and centre at this moment in time but the general battle to cut emissions is Right, but it is an example, is it not, Amy, that, you know, protest is is working. I think the the right protest action um, in the right place works. I suppose a lot of people will have condemned um, damage that was caused possibly in, in parts yeah. of Brussels yeah. last week, um, and rightly so. Um, but the right protest in the right place for the right issue, um, you know, can obviously get changed. Um, I suppose is is the is the line I suppose that would be said and it's really true in France really and you know I'm sure that um, the Commission won't be saying that the, the change is on the back of the protest but um, it, it definitely played its part. Right, but uh, of course people I'm sure are screaming at the radio now if there is a relaxation of targets in one area like agriculture it has to be sort of made up for somewhere else along the way whether it's the motorist or transport in general or, or whatever I suppose Amy you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I suppose it's like anything, it's, it needs to be fair and balanced um, across yeah. the economy. Uh, but each sector needs to be looked at in the round. You can't just, you know, um, you know, come, up, come out with a number of actions, basically, Fran, and, and say, let's do this, that and the other. The impact of those um, actions needs to be looked at, I suppose, and the impact assessment of what it would mean for farm incomes or any other sector of the economy as to what it would mean, you know, with, with the, electric, the electric car by yeah. the things, you know, the impact on that, the range anxiety, the and, and yeah. so on in terms of people in rural and so um you know, each target if it has an impact assessment or an assessment of the impact it would have or if there's alternatives to 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 reaching that target, you know, everything needs to be looked at in the round essentially. For for sure. Now speaking of loss of income, uh, tillage farmers pretty unhappy I would imagine. Yeah, look, twenty twenty three was a very tough year um for tillage farmers. Um many crops were left unharvested because of the terrible weather that was out there and then as a result, uh prolonged I suppose rain and damp weather uh in the back end of the year then as well um had an impact on planting. So the average tillage farmer is set to lose seven and a half thousand in twenty twenty four as a result of the terrible planting conditions in this Irish farmers journal analysis. So a seventy one point eight hectare tillage farm, which is, you know, the average almost the average size tillage farm, who has all owned land could be down around that amount this year in income from crops, um, compared to a more normal season of weather. Um and that's purely on, on, on the crop side of things, um not including direct payments or payments for um, their grain at the end of the day. So it'll be interesting how that pans out and hopefully they get a, a good spring. Um, just finally, can I ask you about something that's uh, intrigued me really? Four Irish solar farms sold to London Investment Fund. What should we be making of that, Amy? Yeah, this is an interesting one. So four, four newly built solar farms in Ireland have basically been sold for €160 million Euro to um, a company called Octopus Renewables Infrastructure Trust. And that's a London-based investment fund with a, a portfolio across uh, Europe, the UK and Australia. Mm. So these solar farms are located near Dublin City. They were developed by a company called Statcraft Ireland. And, and they're capable of producing enough electricity to essentially power around 50,000 homes. Um, so the sale of these was part of a conditional agreement between the, the investment fund and Stackcraft. 
um, which was dependent on the farms becoming operational. So essentially, um, you or I might sign up to a lease agreement to lease our land uh, to a solar farm developer, um, but it's only once that farm is basically, you know, built and you, as I call it, nearly switched on mm. and generating electricity um, that it, it could be sold. Um, so they were energised, they went to power at the end of December and then the, the purchase was finalised. Um, and then for the next 15 years, the electricity that's generated by these firms will be bought by Microsoft. Um, so it's it's a really interesting move, I suppose, and something that had been mooted. There was another sale before Christmas, another company had sold to another fund and it'll be interesting where, where that goes. Won't it indeed? Um, all right, uh, thanks, Amy. Uh, always a pleasure. Thank you. And good morning to you. Thanks, That's uh, Amy Ford there, who is news editor of the Irish Farmers Journal, and of course, the journal is on your shelves right now. Tip today with Fran Curry with Slattery's Garage. Puck on! You can't beat experience. With over fifty years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. Oh six seven two four one 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 or slatterysgarage.ie. Tip today with Fran Curry with Slattery's Garage Puck On. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage Puck On on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Thanks, Pat. Welcome uh, back to the final hour of uh, Tip Today and welcome along to our Friday panel. Uh, glad to be joined in the studio now by Asher. Uh, they're all hands at, at this stage. <laughs> Alison Devere Hunt is with me of Cashel Mart, Mark Small, mediator, naval architect, and Liam Brown, Cashel based uh, community activist and well known troublemaker as well. So <laughs> Absolutely right. <laughs> so you're all very welcome and great to see. Can we start with something today that was not on. Uh, the list that you got, because I was kind of taken aback uh, this morning where this is concerned. Somebody has just stolen my uh, intro there. Ali, if you can put that back uh, for me just on my uh, document there. But uh, I was speaking to uh, Dr. Lambert earlier on, and uh, let me just find what exactly his qualifications are. If they didn't take it off my screen, of course, I'd have it for you there. But he is uh, a consultant where infectious disease is uh, concerned, and he spoke to me uh, earlier on. And he was talking about measles and he was talking about HIV and I put it to him about the rise in the numbers of HIV and indeed where measles was concerned and I nearly fell off the seat when he said to me that immigration, as far as he was concerned uh, was the reason, this is what he had to say Have I heard recently about a rise in the numbers of cases of HIV patients yeah. again? But well, well, the, the rise in the cases, it's just, it, it has to do with lots of factors, including immigration, you know. And, and, and if you look at the, the numbers have increased year, year by year in Ireland, but there's also many of those are people who are arriving in Ireland who are previously diagnosed, you know, HIV positive. Come, you know, we have an immigrant population coming here to work from Africa, Asia, South America. So those populations are, are moving to Ireland and they're already on treatment, so they're contributing to the numbers that you're seeing. So there hasn't been a dramatic number of new Irish infections, you know, in the last number of years, um, would be my take on the statistics. That's a very honest answer to me, but very few people are saying that, Dr. Lambert. Well, but but I've looked at the the statistics, you know, um, and that's really what, I mean, that's really what the data is saying, you know. Uh, Alison, can I go to you first of all? Were you as surprised as I was when you heard that answer? 
I was surprised at the honesty of it. Like the facts, you know, it's it's coming from data. It's not uh, something Dr. Lambert is um, making up. I'm not massively surprised because rates of TB are up. There's, you know, there's a huge amount of different diseases that are becoming more prevalent in Ireland. Um, that we would have never, like HIV was, would have never been an issue in Ireland. And looking at the statistics over the last number of years, it has been year on year. Now, I've never seen it broken down in relation to who um, are the, the who are the people with HIV. But it's, oh my God, it's very interesting. And it's, you know, there's more stress now on our health system mm. that we didn't even realise. But everybody's speaking about the, the uptake of vaccination, for example, where measles is concerned, as the main reason behind this. But uh, again, as I say, I was taking... Uh, Mark, you have some stats there, have you? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you kind of threw a curveball at us when we, <laughs> just as we came in on this one. And I must say, I was, I was, I was shocked when I, when I heard the, uh, the statistic. But, you know, doing a quick... Mr. Google, as it was, and, and I just checked there with the, the HPSC, that's the Health Protection Surveillance Centre, and this is a report that was been, been published on the 7th of November this year, um, and it's an update on the epi- epidemiology of HIV in Ireland, and it, it's actually, I mean, I mean, you can't argue with the statistics, so I just kind of says, it said here, um, there was a 68% increase in the overall diagnosis of HIV um, compared to pre-pandemic levels. Okay, so they're, they're taking... 68. 68% in overall numbers of diagnosis compared to pre-pandemic year of 2019. So the reference year is 2019. Yes. Um, and it says here is that this is largely attributable to an increase in the diagnosis among people with a previous diagnosis outside of Ireland. What is actually quite interesting, and, and I mean, to delve into, I mean, this is a quite, this is a quite a detailed report, so I've only had about a couple of minutes there yeah, just to, yeah, to sure. do it. But what it did say, um, and I, I mean, I think we need, I think certainly it needs to be a discussion about this because it said, um, of the 548 people who were previously diagnosed with HIV abroad, 92% were reported to have transferred their care from another country to Ireland and 88% had a suppressed viral load where the viral load was known. So, I mean, it, it would seem to indicate that people are coming here to Ireland for treatment. That's what this, this would just <coughs> seems to indicate. I mean, we, we had a discussion there, just the panel, just we were just before this happened, and we thought it might have been people coming in who, who were coming in to work in visas who were who coming from other areas. But this seems to indicate there are people travelling to Ireland mm. for care. Is that because care is free here? Is that it? Um, I'm not, again, is it becoming their free or is it free for them? I'm not 100% sure, but it's, it's actually, when you look at where the groups are coming from, um, surprisingly again in, in, in where we would have thought of it, it's uh, 32% are coming from Latin America and the Caribbean. Um, Sub-Saharan Africa is 27%. And actually, quite a, what I'm staggered by, actually, was Eastern Europe is 25% of, of the people coming are coming from Eastern Europe for care in Ireland. Now, if they are coming within the European Union, then that's perfectly transferable mm. because they, they that's allowable. They have but, every, every right to do that. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. But but I mean, it, it's a I mean, it's it's a very, very detailed report and there's an awful lot of, of information in it. And, and one thing is, is I'm always loathe to do in... In, in kind of looking at reports is sort of jumping to conclusions. But certainly, I mean, it's the first I heard about it. Um, and I mean, a couple, a couple of things that they do say as to why, I mean, why there is, are like HIV treatment in Ireland is free and available to everyone. Right. Um, there's a pre-exposure programme uh, in Ireland. There's free HIV testing in Ireland. Um, and there's a national condom distribution service established in 2015. So, 
I think Ireland has a very good system for managing it. People know about it. I think now I, I, I'm actually can't believe that this, the rise is so high. Yeah, um, Liam, are you surprised? Not really, no. Um, You're not. No, I'm not because I've been kind of. You've, I've been seeing this in in the past couple of years, and it kind of makes sense. We have a very good health system. When you get very sick, we don't. Mm. We, have, we have a lot of pressures in the health mm. system until you get very sick. But when, once we get very yeah. sick, you're very rarely turned away from a hospital. Yeah. So, I mean, if you have somebody who has HIV or who has a, a, another disease like that, getting to Ireland, they will be looked after. So there is an incentive to have health tourism. There's no doubt about it. Um, because immigration was mentioned this morning, obviously immigration is a massive topic across all different groups. We have to talk about it in this sense. I mean, if I was, for example, in Ukraine and I wasn't getting uh, care in Ukraine and I was going to get it here, well, why wouldn't I move here? You know, you get free medical care, you get free medical care, you get all the services once you get here. So you're talking about the 25% coming from Eastern Europe in the last couple of years. A good chunk of that may be from Ukrainians coming across here. Because as Mark said, before that, it didn't matter where you were in the European Union, you could get healthcare anywhere, anyway. The Latin American and African um, numbers going up. We know we have increased numbers from Latin America. We have an awful lot of extra Brazilians. There's fifty to 100,000 Brazilians now in the country that weren't here 10 years ago. So, I mean, that could account for a, a major amount of the Latin American migration. The Sub-Saharan African... I lived in Sub-Saharan Africa. I know HIV is a massive problem. Huge. I know yeah. that the care for HIV payments is just not there in, in mm. Sub-Saharan Africa. So, if I thought to myself, if I was living in South Africa and I thought I could get better care in Ireland, again, I would move. The problem that is that causes is, one, it brings a disease which we have very much under control in Ireland. We had HIV under, under control. It's very expensive treatment, I know that. Mm. But now we're getting all these extra cases in on top of it, which is, one, creating a problem in the community because people mix in the community and we know how HIV is spread um, generally through um, sexual contact. So, I mean... Mm. Or, no, or needles, needles. Yeah, but generally, generally in this case, it generally happens through sexual contact. Yeah. So that's increasing in the community. Uh, there's a massive rise in STIs as well, um, yeah. sexual transmitted disease. Yeah. I'm sure you've spoke about yeah. that as well. But these are kind of what, what I say, the, the law of unintended consequences, my favourite law in, in economics. You bring in people, say, to work from Brazil and they uh, contribute to the economy. They're working in, in meat factories and stuff. And I don't want to just harp on Brazilians because mm. there could be other communities as mm. well. But they bring things to Ireland that weren't in Ireland before. Mm. And now you've got to deal with those issues as well that you didn't intend. Like the meat factory who employs a Brazilian, employs them to cut mm. up meat. They don't care that there's now a problem on the health service because they're getting their meat cut up. But you have to take that into account. Like I do know, certainly back in the 90s, um, I was going to work in Saudi Arabia. You had to have a cleared HIV cert before you went out there. Mm. And the test, you had to prove it. And, and what about that? Is yeah. there anything in the in the data, before I go back to Amazon, that, that I mean, are, are people tested here? Or do you have to present it? I, I, I don't know. If, if you are HIV positive, do you have to make that clear when you arrive I, at the borders? I mean, I, again, I, d I haven't done enough. Yeah, I, I haven't done enough to be able to do it. I, yeah. My understanding is, I mean, certainly traveling within Europe. So to say, if you always say traveling within Europe, there's no... There's no declarations because we have free movement. So there's anyone from any mm. European country can travel around from that. Um, I know. I mean, so I, I mean, I think just, um, when I travelled there to Australia, is you have to tick the box, yes. you know. But I, you, but you don't but have. You, you, Ukraine is not part of the union. No, but, but, it, but they it, have as, special. They have a spe they're considered part yeah. of the union for the for, 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 for a period of time. Of I think the, that's been renewed. Going to be until is, next year. Is next year, I think, yeah, is, is a review. Yeah. But like, so I think 
I'm not sure about whether what declarations is, but but I I don't think I don't think it would be unreasonable to if someone is coming into into Ireland that they would have to show that they have whatever the vaccinations that are required that we would normally have in Ireland um, and that if they are yes. if there is particular health concerns that it's not putting like, someone who's coming into travel like if I go to America and I want to get care I have to pay for it you know I don't get it for free and I think if, if that be the case putting extra pressure on the health service that people are travelling in here if they can get it for free I don't necessarily think that's a good as it's a good idea yeah. for that to happen uh, Alison is this a valid conversation is this is this something that needs to be discussed on a, on a national basis I think so and I think to be honest most of the population are unaware of this as were kind of we were as well yeah. until um we found out this morning. Like, it's a major issue. And, you know, HIV isn't just the only issue. There's a lot of different diseases becoming more prevalent in Ireland um, that have been imported here rather than, you know, say, that are uh, created by our own indigenous population. And, like, our health system is in turmoil. Like, I listen to Conor Reedy speaking mm-hmm. with you on a regular basis. Like, we, we are under serious pressure. If we are going to have, you know, health tourism, it does need to be charged for. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. we can't sustain it. And that's not being, you know, that's not being anti-anyone. But no. as it stands, no. our own people and our own services are in a very poor condition because we just can't keep up with it. Um, and if this is, you know, which I don't doubt for a second, this is happening, then it really seriously needs to be looked into for the safety of the citizens of Ireland as well. Mm. Yeah, and in terms of the Czechs, I mean, they're very fond of throwing around this thing, oh, should the Irish went off to America and, you know, they, they expect to be taken in, they give them work there. But there was Ellis Island. Do you know? There was plenty of Czechs and the Irish in yeah, Ellis but Island. Do, do, yeah. do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, where yeah. disease was concerned and there was no way were you getting you into made, the States. You were probably okay if you made it across to yeah. Ellis Island. Well, I, mean, yeah, in the, yeah. in the, I mean, look at the many people who died on the, the ships. Of people that died, yeah. Like, it just makes sense. There's no point. We've yeah. got we've gotten rid of we've gotten rid of an awful lot of horrible diseases. Yeah. And the vaccination thing. I know that people be ringing in here <laughs> talking about anti-vaxxers and pro-vaxxers. The reality is, is vaccines have been a brilliant part of a health system worldwide for nearly a hundred years. Yes. But now, in the last couple of years, because of the COVID vaccination, there are people not getting vaccinations for things like measles, not getting mm-hmm. vaccinations know, for things yeah. like TB, the BC. If you remember in polio. school, we all got the the, back well, to the yeah. polio. Yeah. We've got rid of an awful lot of very infectious, yeah. very dangerous diseases. And we should keep the foot on the neck of those he, diseases. He explained that very well this morning as well. When he spoke about, uh, we, we were talking about vaccine hesitancy possibly yeah. being, yeah. Be, be, before he dropped that bomb on me, yeah. we were, we were <laughs> talking about that. And again, he was making the point that the difference between the, the COVID vaccine and the measles vaccine, the COVID vaccine only helped you where symptoms were concerned, mm. but the measles vaccine actually stops mm. yes. measles. Now, and I know there's a... people out there with other issues around that yeah. particular vaccine and yeah. uh, theories around that. Well, and look, it has it's a tried and tested vaccination. And like, as far as I was aware, 90% of Irish people are say, immunised for yeah. measles. It's, it's, it's 85 still, now. Yeah, it's, well, some places are yeah. down as far as 80. Yeah. 80, yeah. But it needs yeah. to be 95, I believe. Sorry, yeah. Alison. And yeah. I think there needs to be a whole, you know, say, 
restructuring on our education. Mm-hmm. Like if you look at Limerick, for instance, the cases in university of gonorrhea, yeah, syphilis yeah. that have completely got out of control. Yes. Like what the hell is going on? <laughs> a bit of common sense. Yeah. Um, well, students are being students, honestly. Uh, but, yeah, but, but, but I don't know about the friend students in the 80s. We've always been students. Like, to be honest, we've never had you know, more access to condoms, etc., etc. Knowledge. And knowledge, yeah. yeah. So why is it that it's, you know, becoming prevalent in a time when we've never been more educated and we've never had access to more protectants than we have now? I think on the contraceptive thing is because we have extra access to female contraception, we have less education about male contraception oh, because right. yeah, in the 80s, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, when HIV was a thing, you wore condoms. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. now you have a much more a greater access towards the pill and the morning after pill. Is that right. people aren't using yeah. condoms. Well, in the great tradition of uh, the Friday panel, we've gone off on a whole other <laughs> thing. I'll tell you what, we'll take a break. We'll be right back in just a moment. Tip today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Oh, you're very welcome back to our Friday panel and uh, Liam is with us and uh, Alison and uh, Mark as well. Huge response. We could talk about the issue that we began with. We could talk about it for the entire programme because people really engaged where that is concerned. But look, I promise we will go back to it. Big uh, topic for discussion this week was the digging up of the tourist attraction now in Cashel, not the rock, it's the roundabout up on Boardlock Street after it was discovered that the raised roundabout just simply would not work. A lot of people furious with the lack of forethought on the project, uh, while some may have a rather comical take on it. Liam, uh, one of the first things I saw on this was a press release for you, I think, actually. Um, can you just sum up what actually happened, Liam? Yeah, um, there was a new, there's eight new houses, nine new houses built in Cashel uh, at the top of Borough Clock, you'll know it. For most people, it's the T-junction as you come across mm. the green uh, past, the, Saint hosp- past hospital, the hospital, yeah. uh, towards St. Patrick's mm. Hospital. So there was eight new houses built there, but because it's coming onto a fairly busy T-junction as it is, the council with the developers decided to build a roundabout. It would allow people to come out from the new houses and also from the green and down Borough Clock which was fine, it makes a huge amount of sense. It would have kept the traffic moving there. It's, it's often a pinch point. But when the roundabout was being laid down, it was very obvious to anybody who needed to use it that was using a big vehicle that it was too big. Now, I've seen it in people saying to the council, this is too big, you will not get a truck down it, you won't get a bus down it, you won't get a tractor and trailer, as often come up from the market, Alison will tell you, won't come down it. Now, added to that, just above this new roundabout, we had this brand new cycleway, which narrowed in the road again, which stopped tractors and trailers coming out for up the co-op. But on the roundabout itself, it was very obvious it was too big. But they went ahead, and they built it, and they put it in, and they ignored people. And a week later... And it went on for how long? No, the oh, this went on for months. Right. Oh, my God, it went yeah. on for months. And the traffic hold ups there were disastrous, and people were getting angry and fidgety. And as you, as you imagine, they're trying to get to work or wherever they wanted to go. But there didn't seem to be any rush in putting the roundabout up in the first place. Plus the fact that the reason behind the roundabout going up was they were digging up water mains. So you now not only had a problem with a roundabout and traffic, you had a problem with water going off in Cashel every second day at no notice. But anyway, the roundabout went in, and five days later the roundabout came back out again. Maybe we call it Lannigan's roundabout. It went in and again and out again. But 
You know, and we can laugh about it, and it can seem quite funny, but people are really angry, and I think why they're really angry is the waste of money. A waste of money. Absolute can, waste of money. Uh, like, we asked for a state... Well, first yeah. of all, we asked for somebody to talk to us on it. We yeah. couldn't get anybody. They weren't available. They gave us a statement. I'm not sure if you heard me read out that, that no, uh, statement. Uh, but basically, they didn't speak to us about money and cost and what was yeah. wasted. Can you estimate that? Oh, God, there, there, hundreds of thousands. I mean, it's hundreds, hundreds of, thousands. of thousands. That will have cost hundreds of thousands to put in and out and put in again. And I think what people don't realise is there's people going to work today who were, were held up by that roundabout and who are cutting their costs. The cost of living crisis is, is, gets thrown out about everything and it's t- turned into a label. But that's a reality for most people. People who work are cutting corners at home in their own house. You know, they're leaving the heat off for an extra hour. Or they're buying a little bit less in food or whatever. And then they see public money, their money, their tax money being spent flahulically. It's a fantastic Irish word. And there doesn't seem to be any accountability. Like, if they did something like that at work, somebody would call them in and, and give them a slap on the wrists at the least. But here, so actually, look, we just tear it up and we'll put it back down again. And I think it's that attitude that uh, is around the spending of public money and the waste of public money. And like I said, the vast majority of people in Cashel regard the cycleway that's just above it as an absolute waste of public money. When, for example, there's a guy in Nockavilla called Dave O'Mara, I give him a shout out. Dave has come to me asking me, can I try and get councils to put down a footpath between the school in Nockavilla and the village in Nockavilla, which is quite dangerous. And he cannot get anything done there. Yet we put up a uh, a cycle path in Cashel mm. that's not going to be used well it's, it's not because people are still cycling on the main road so Alison, this is an area is you, you know extremely well too what what are you making of what happened there oh I I go up there every morning my son is in preschool in yeah. Deer Park and every evening I would say there's probably the guts a half an hour wasted waiting between going up and going down and going back up and going down it's ridiculous and like the cycle lane is ridiculous. Why not put one cycle lane? Why did we need two? That's not they're not being used in the first place. It means now for the people of Oliver Plunkett and Sabafield Crescent that they now have to walk down to the main street to get a bus. Yeah. The bus used to stop where the cycle lane is now. We're talking about elderly people. Like, there's no common sense approach whatsoever. And the money that's been squandered is the only word mm. you could actually use. And where the real issue is, is no accountability. Mm. There's nobody answering any questions. You're getting a kind of a, you know, a bit of a fluff of response there, Fran. And supposedly when Irish Water were working on the water part, the council never knew about it. Like, this has gone on for months. And to be honest... I can't understand how the likes of Centenary Co-op, Tesco, Little, all of those are not up in arms because they're losing a lot of business, well, I would I'm think. I'm sure they are. You know, they have to be because be, yeah. everybody's avoiding it and the yeah. cost of living. And I spoke to Parry Colbert er- earlier on, Alison, about the notion of consultation with mm. people and whether or not consultation has been taken on board. It I don't think there was any consultation to take on board. Um, It was the same with the cycle paths. A TD said it to me. He said, why weren't you up in arms in Cashel about this? I said, we didn't know. I said, as far as I'm aware, there was no public consultation. Um, Like, to be honest, it seems that we're only there to pay for it um, as as the public. We don't don't deserve any... um, response or any, and who's going to be held accountable? Nobody. Like I was thinking about this last night and I was thinking about farmers. Farmers make a mistake, could be a very small mistake and all of a sudden they're penalised in their single farm payment. 
But anyone, you know, government or say um, local authority make a mistake, <clears throat> oh, it was a mistake, a genuine mistake. Like, that's ridiculous. There, it, the whole thing, the system is broken and it's so mm. wrong and there's no accountability. The, the, the former county councillor, Tom Wood, told me there's a gag going around, Cash. Now, there's a 27-year-old working on the roundabout and he figures he'll have his pension there at uh, this point. It's going to go on well, for, for so long. What are you making of that, Mark? Well, I know I, it's I, not I, your I, area, but, you know... Well, as you know, I have been involved in, in, in traffic management and how to design as parts. I mean, I've, no, I've I mean, Cashel wasn't. Oh, the Cashel, yeah, no, it's yeah. not my area, but I, I think shock and, har- shock and horror, I'm actually going to agree with both Liam and Alison. <laughs> ah, here. Probably the first time ever, I think. Ah, but anyway... I, Don't uh, be in front. Yeah, yeah. So... <laughs> But I mean, I think I think both points being made up here, I think are absolutely is is where from a design point of view as as an architect and how that where's the cop on where's cop on mm. come into design, which is was always a case of when we design stuff. He said, "Well, does I mean it may work in theory, but what it work in practice?" Mm. And then sometimes it works in practice. Well, we have to make it work design, in theory. Design, like design is your thing. Yeah. So does a guy sit at a computer and simulate a roundabout and sort of then impose that? Algorithm on well, the like, bloody road. In the old How da- does that work? Well, in the old days, we actually yes, we with the old days we'd have to do it manually, and you'd be doing traffic pass analysis, and you get the length of the vehicle, and you just, mm. and you 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 see how the how the, the wheels go around different things, right? That's automated now to a certain extent in the traffic management software we can do. We can do path analysis very easily. Um, I can't understand from a planning point of view when the planning was put in for this, then why the roundabout wasn't an- analysed in that way, and if it was. How the hell? I mean, I I actually just happened to was in Cash. I think it was a uh, Sunday, two weeks ago, and I came up to them and said, "My God, what happened here? Like, this is a mess." Because mm. even as a car, it 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 doesn't make sense. Mm. There's no way you're going to get a truck across here, and especially a truck if it was go to turn right coming down coming down from the motorway, turn right maybe up to the hospital. Yes, yeah. Nothing will ever get that yeah. way. So you're kind of going. Well, certainly, it it doesn't work. I mean, it, it doesn't. I think a couple of things is 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 accountability. If if that was a private sector, if that was a roundabout put in in a private sector development and the company who did it, whoever did that job wouldn't be working there no. anymore because it's a monumental mistake. <coughs> I mean, it's not it's not a yeah. mistake of a minor issue is if you can't get trucks around. Um, I think the, the problem we're having is I think there are junior people possibly who are giving and the computers they press the button and the computer says X I know anytime anytime we were ever told we were engineers and, and it was advice we were given in lectures was guess the answer first and then if through all your calculations and all the computer stuff you do the answer is the same as what you guessed well then you're probably right if either of them are out, then go back and check either. And as you get older, your yeah. guesses become more accurate. But this is a mess. Am, am I playing into conspiracy here by saying, <laughs> is, is this to try and stop traffic generally getting in and out of town? Well, getting into town. Well, is possibly. We, look, we had an issue in Cashel with the bypass, and that's there for 10 years now. But the reality is a lot of truck drivers stopped using the bypass because of the pull up the hill. It's quite a, a long hill, you know, the back of Forry Hill. Mm. And it was costing them diesel to go up along. So they actually started to go back in through town. Now, go down to the end of town at Lower Gate and you'll talk about the, the triangle about. It's not even a roundabout, it's a triangle about. <laughs> but again, like Mark said, that's fine until you want to go right. You come in from Dundrum and you want to go up yes. o'clock. You cannot get a truck around there. Yeah. So you now have to go up the main street, go across... Friar Street and back across the green and then you come into the one at 4 o'clock but a lot of it is down to and it, it's 
having a go at the council is one thing, but the council workers, in my mind, they're, they're brilliant mm. because yeah. I'd been here, I'd heard about this last week. But so uh, they're only following exactly, yeah. and they're yeah. getting slapped on the wrist. I know it's nothing to do with the engineers who put yes. it in. Yeah. It's it's crazy. Like as Mark said, why couldn't you have literally drawn this on the road with with paint and then asked the lorry, can you drive <laughs> around it? And, and see it on but the road. That they well, you wouldn't have to be a rocket scientist to figure yeah. out. That's, that's, that's <laughs> yeah. what you would do in a normal... Bring down a bus. But okay. another thing that maybe we have a, a problem with how we deal with the council nowadays, because you're talking about the cycleway, and I don't know, does Alison know this or do other people know this, but there's a consultation period which closed about a week and a half ago to have that cycleway extended all the way as far as care, but through the fields, out the back of Rockwell. You know, so you're now going to buy, buy a pile of land and, and build a cycleway through fields. When you have a perfectly good old care road, that's very rarely used because most mm-hmm. of the traffic is on the motorway. But these active travel plans that have come in, because and I'm going to have a go at the Greens on this one. Yes, they never. Want, the Greens want to have all these new active travel plans, but they're putting cycleways and stuff where people aren't going to use them. Realistically, they're not going to use yeah, but them. There won't be cars in the centre of Dublin by but August. This thing, so it's yeah. costing money, but yeah. you take a place like Cashel, like anyone from Cashel, you're from Cashel, you're, you're, you're there, Alison. We knew well this was not going to work. We told him it wasn't going to work. But nowadays you have a notice put into a newspaper. An awful lot of people don't read newspapers mm, nowadays, mm. you know, looking for consultation. And then people come and say, we weren't, a- we weren't asked about this. And the council go, oh, we asked you in mm. page 17 of The Nationalist in the bottom corner in a little, in a little notice. Why didn't you come and say it to us? In- like, should, should the, mm. the, water, the Waterford Care Road is an example of that. It's I mean, it's, I think that's a mess. Abs- mm. I mean, an the absolute Waterford mess. Care Road. The, ni- the in twenty four. Oh yes, yeah. I mean, yeah. like, I mean, like that. It's the same thing. Oh, it's yeah. crazy. I mean, it's the, the I mean, the by- the, the, the main road is going to go through the bypass, which is already full. Yeah. I mean, do people not? Is there is there no cop on anymore? And as for the the roundabout at the top of Friar Street uh, w- with the now new housing development there, they they have the roundabout going almost into the housing yeah. estate. Yeah, <laughs> I just what? drive over it to be honest. What everybody uh, does. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's ridiculous, and to be honest, it's dangerous if you were yeah. to follow I know. the actual oh, yeah. line of. And how could path. a truck? Get around. Uh, to be, but to be honest, Cashel seems to be a town now of roundabouts. Like the one where... <laughs> and say, we need more. <laughs> like if you look up where Texaco is, you see trucks and they come up from, say, Borlahan Road, yeah. let's say. They have to do, go the full of the roundabout to get onto the, say, the no, N8, let's yeah. say. Yeah. Um, it's ridiculous. And yeah. the triangle about, as the name called it. <laughs> I saw... A, a, that's that's Lord Gates Street, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, there was a yeah. truck kind of half jackknifed yeah. there a couple of months ago pure crazy and but also Google is to blame for this yeah. as well because the trucks end up using Google yeah, and they don't realise it but suddenly so one place in Cashel that yeah. we, the one place yes, in Cashel that we do need a roundabout is the bottom of, of Douala onto Fire Street and oh, there's no absolutely. At all there. And there's, and there's plenty of space to have a, a huge proper amount of space. One and yeah. that's the one place ah, in look, no, you need the, to prob- the problem with that is that it'd be sensible <laughs> and yeah. involve planning, which is, we all <laughs> know doesn't it happen. Can't in be doing common that. sense is not that common. <laughs> <is> <laughs> <it>? <laughs> all right, let me take another break. <laughs> We're back with a very cynical panel <laughs> in just a few moments. <laughs> Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. So much more. If it matters to you, 
It matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. And welcome back to our Friday panel. And uh, Mark and Alison and Liam uh, with us. The Sinn Féin leader, uh, Mary Lou uh, MacDonald, says that she will reflect on the latest Irish Times poll showing a sharp drop in support for her party and will seek to correct things in her party's strategy in another referendum on the upcoming referendums. Uh, Both are expected to pass, though the poll uh, shows too that most voters know hardly anything at all about the proposed um, referenda. Now, can I uh, start with the poll um, on Sinn Féin? Can I start with you, Mark, where that is concerned? Drop down, biggest drop, uh, yet down to 28%, I think it is. Uh, Are you surprised? No, not not in the slightest. I think think we got, I mean, I think the the, the movement of, of, if you look at the the history of, say, maybe the last five or six years in the policies of Sinn Féin, I mean, the reality is is that they're preparing to go into government, and I think that's inevitable that they will be in government in Ireland at some stage in in, in the probably the near future rather than the, any longer term. And the reality is is that you can't you can't govern with populist views, really, realistically speaking. If you look at the way Sinn Féin, I mean, five or six years ago, they were going to solve the housing crisis overnight. Now they're moving towards it's more going to be two governments, possibly three governments, because it's a long term plan. The reality is now in Ireland is that we have three parties who are predominant. I mean, in broad terms, yes, there are some differences between them. But in the, if you think about it in the context of an over of of what will be say the difference between Labour and and Conservatives in the UK or the Republicans and Democrats in in America, we have three parties who are broadly similar. Centrist, I mean, cent- yeah. they're centralist yeah. uh, democratic parties. They have there are nuances in the differences they deal with. I mean, like Mary Lou MacDonald was very clear to say it's not going to address the corporation tax, which helps, I mean, which is which is fundamental to the way we, we, we do business here in Ireland. So it's not surprising that we have three three parties which have broadly similar views that are sharing the vote by approximately three, 30% each. Do you know what I mean? Like, so we're in, the, in that sort of, where you have three parties that are all similar. So no, I'm not surprised. I think, I think, um, it's easy to have very extreme or very populist views if you're never going to be in government. Alison, is the elephant in the room here immigration? I mean, they, they, because, you know... There's a couple of element, of elephants in the room, Fran, with uh, Sinn Féin. Like, they have a very watery position on Gaza. Um, people don't know what they stand for. They're signed up to the hate speech. Well, Mary you know. has spoken out pretty strongly supporting... Uh, the Palestinians has she not? I heard that speech in London, which uh, was fairly hard hitting. They're they're still very watery. Like she has, but then you've got um, oh, he used to be their agricultural spokesperson, Matt Carthy. You know, um, like, but I think at home they've signed up. You know, they're they're for the hate speech bill. They want women in the home taken out of the constitution, which I have a massive issue about. And their stance on immigration, yes, is massive. As Declan Carey, the Sinn Féin National Chairperson came out there recently and said, a multiracial, multicultural Ireland is our ambition. Um, they're not seen as a national party anymore. They don't seem to be speaking up for the people. And I think at the height of the last election where they did, you know, if they'd had more candidates, they would have been in course, coalition. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, people were so desperate for Sinn Féin, or for change, I should say, and Sinn Féin were giving them all the buzzwords in relation to that. Um, but now they're not an alternative option anymore. They're the same, you know, two sides of the one coin, mm. basically. All, all the big questions, are they have a similar response to. Is that is that what you're saying? Completely. You? And I think, you know, this referendum that's coming up um, in relation to women and the home, 
like we need somebody to be on our side. You know, you've got the likes of Sharon Kyogen and mm. and when I say someone on our side, I mean for the side of women. As a woman and a mother myself, why does this constitution, yeah. why does this have to change? Well, Alison, even in terms of balanced um, conversations... It's uh, so unbalanced, uh, yeah, well, you know. Well, it's, it's just it's very difficult to find a balance, that's what I'm well, saying. Well, because government, it seems, are, you know, pushing NGOs to speak out for a yes vote. Um... I suppose all the media outlets are coming out and saying yes, it's go- it's going to be yes, mm. but even though see, the Ipsos poll in the Times saying barely it, it'll get there, but yeah, it, but it's, it's the narrative you see they're kind of pushing, pushing and yeah. this is the way we should all be voting, and they're hoping that we are sheep, and I'm just hoping that people will read up on it, like to do with durable families and. It's yeah. just, it's it's something that never needed to be brought to a referendum. There is much stronger things that we need to be having referendums on. Women and the home, they are, you know, it's our constitutional right and that's how it should stay. And Right, you and, know, and you know their argument is this is archaic language uh, making reference what's to... What's archaic to, about to, a, to a woman? What's archaic about the home? There's nothing archaic about it in my view. I think it's, you know, we have a very mm. important role to play and I am anti the, say, the erasure of women, erasing right. of women. Okay. Um, uh, Sinn Féin and the drop in the poll, Liam, um, I, I think, to be honest with you, the biggie is immigration, uh, their stance on immigration, but I could be wrong. Yeah, here. look, um, there's, there's a couple of factors involved, but let's let's address the, the, the main one first of all. It does look like they are dropping in the polls. There's definitely momentum against them um, mm. from a high of maybe 18 months ago in which they were getting 35% in polls and are now down to about 25 to 28%. Even though David Dunn made a point about that, sorry to interrupt yeah, you, no but he, he made an interesting point and he said he almost figured that was too high, that the yeah. proper yeah. the yeah. proper place is probably around 28%. Well, this is, this is it. You're, you're yeah. kind of wondering, first of all, go back to where Mark was and even Alison to a point. People wanted Sinn Féin to be different. And that's why they voted for the last time, because Sinn Féin were coming out with a different policy and a different platform than Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. And since the last election, they seem to have moved closer and closer to Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. To the so centre, yeah. that difference is gone. That unique selling point of being different seems to have gone. What is very interesting is, is that despite the fall in Sinn Féin notional support, because that's notional support, and I want to bring that to a point in a second, they're not going to Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. Their figures aren't going up. So Sinn, yeah, that's what I'm saying. If Sinn Féin are down 9% in the polls and Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael are the same, where is the vote going to? And it tends to be to independence and to a very small level, the Social Democrats, believe it or not. But really, realistically, it's independence. Now, if you're to look at it uh, from an election point of view, and it's brilliant because I got a notification on my phone just as I was coming in. This morning was the fourth anniversary of the last election. So the last election was four years. The counting started this morning. So let's imagine that that poll was the election result next year. Yes. If it was, Sinn Féin will gain about 15, 20 seats. Fine Gael will lose about five, six seats. And Fianna Fáil will lose about 10 to 15 seats. So realistically, no one's talking about where Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael are. But they are becamed on levels well below where they were at the last election, whereas mm. Sinn Féin are going back to where they were. But, but, but my election. understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, the combination of Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael and uh, the Greens would still be substantial up into the 40s somewhere. Now they'd need 50, is it, uh, to form a government? At, it, the moment, at the moment, the last election, Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael and the Greens got about 51% of the vote. They would be lucky to get 42, 43% in if, if these polls were polls in the morning. Now that's not shilling, shilling for Sinn Féin, don't get me wrong. Mm. 
that's just realistic looking at the actual figures Sinn Féin would because they ran too few candidates last time and because they have a couple of extra points but it's only a couple mm. they would get more seats whereas the other two main parties would fall back it would be a real mess to be quite honest mm. if these figures were to happen in a government but I do think that more and more people are moving towards independence they don't they don't think Sinn Féin are going to give them the change mm. that they want and some of the stuff that's come out from Mary Lou I wouldn't agree yeah, with myself and, and what about that Mark moving to independence and, and many independents <laughs> very very capable very mm. very fine politicians and stuff. but at the end of the day they're independents and you know un, unless a government is very close in numbers they can't yeah, there really no, there be effective no, I mean they? in relation to legislative powers or things like that. I mean, unless the government is close and yes. there's a particular... A Tony I mean, Gregory situation. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Like and, and we know there are there are certain government-leaning TDs who tend to, on an average, vote with them. So we, we have that independent, then you have the... Then you have the the uh, independent TDs who are who are for, from the, the, the... who will never go into government and yes. such. So, I mean, the reality of the situation is, is that the independents they have a voice and, and I think ultimately what will happen is that as we get closer and closer to the to a to an actual election that the tendency has been in the past for the independents to lose particular they they may be high in, in an interim period, but in tendency over the years is that that particular grouping would, would drop off a little bit towards it. I think also I think there's a the, the constituency changes and um, the splitting of constituencies, the extra TDs it's going to be a very interesting election because I don't think I don't think it's as straightforward as everybody thinks it's going to happen because with the splitting in seats, let's say tip north south now, and um, that's going to have an effect on the type of voting and and certainly from the likes of say uh, what Sinn Fein or how they're going to put forward. We also, I mean, I think what does go for Sinn Fein more so probably than the Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil is this requirement for um, female. Um, candidates, yeah. I think that certainly helps Sinn Féin because they have on an overall basis, I mean I, I think it's to say is that their female candidates are yeah. very articulate and, and very well spoken I om- I sometimes think, no disrespect to them, but Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil almost try to find someone who can to bring up the numbers, which is very very disrespectful for the women who are going mm-hmm. forward in that particular point, but it, is, seems, it just seems to be that way, so I think I think it's going to be a very different election, I think um, yes, I think the stance of, of Sinn Féin on immigration that they have taken is probably is less populist, mm. but ultimately more more reasonable in relation to its approach. It's a more balanced approach than 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 what some of the the, the parties would be. I see. Well, my belief to a certain extent would be is that Sinn Féin are looking at is that the only way they can get into power is essentially with Fianna Fáil. To a certain extent, yeah, because the yeah. left, but, but the left, keep, I mean, the makeup of Sinn Fein is very interesting, oh, though, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. With, with left and conservative, within and nationalist needles yeah. within the party. Yeah, it, no, it is. I mean, it it is a very mixed bag, and I think it has changed. I think, I mean, I, I would take I would take exception maybe to the, to the view that that um, Sinn Fein was a nationalist party. I think they characterize themselves as a Republican party, mm-hmm. much more than a nationalist. Because I think there's very different connotations. A nationalist party is very much, I would concede, as a right wing, very conservative type views um, you know that sort of anti-immigration that's what I would view as a nationalist party Sinn Féin are very so very clear that they are a Republican a better, a better party yes. yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was also interesting Alison was it not that we just got Stormont we we just got Stormont back <laughs> back together again the Good DNP man, finally <laughs> finally jumped uh, as they say in uh, the north Michelle O'Neill was first minister and then pretty much immediately there was talk of a united Ireland I, I, I thought from a diplomacy I mean we'd all aspire to a united mm. but from a diplomacy diplomacy point of view was it kind of strange I thought it was and Mary Lou herself yeah. was you know yeah. the same mm-hmm. mentioned it um, yeah I thought the timing was very poor 
um, like they've been waiting two years to get <laughs> this over the line. And immediately and there's then, a row. Yeah, <laughs> completely. Um, and I, yeah, I definitely think the timing was very poor. Yeah. What did you make of that, Liam? Uh, yeah, myself. I mean, you know my stance. I'm very proud Republican, and I want to yeah. United Ireland. Um, and I think we will, please God. But I don't think that was that was the time for it. Um, I don't think it's what's on the forefront of people's minds at the moment. And I also think, from a Sinn Féin strategist's point of view, I would be banging my head off the table because it would be feeding back into the, this notion that that's the only thing Sinn Féin care about. Yes. Yeah. Whereas mm. the reality is, is I care about you, you do. I'm sure Mark and, and Alison do to an extent. But it's not high up in our priorities at the moment. Our priorities are the fact that we can't afford yes. houses. To, you know, and and surely prices. in the north, they have all of these issues as a- well. Abs- I mean, absolutely, you know. you know. I mean, like, does no one can pretend that Sinn Féin are not United Ireland Party? Yes. The, the, everybody knows that that is part of the party DNA, and right. they will work so towards So is there it. a possibility then that knowing that the, the figures are dropping a little, that this would sort of play to the Republican aspect of the party. Possibly, but the reality is is that anybody anybody who supports Sinn Féin because they want United Ireland are not moving away from Sinn Féin because of other issues. They're moving away from Sinn Féin because of the immigration issue. They're moving away from them because they're wishy-washy on gas. Now, I don't think they are, but that's maybe. They're moving, they're wishy-washy on housing, that they said they were going to solve housing in two years and now it's going to take ten years. So I don't think the United Ireland thing is the reason why people are moving away from Sinn Féin. I think mm. it's the fact that Sinn Féin are becoming more like Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael in so many policies because they're almost afraid to put their head above the parapet. And you see independents who are putting their head above the parapet and you know, I've done it myself, and you, you get Mark here had a go at me on a few occasions Never. in the past Mark. year. Who, well, me? Uh, other people have had a go at me, and they've had a go at other independents around the country. But slowly but surely, an awful lot of independents have been proven right. Now, it is very difficult, as Mark said, to get a lot of independents to corral into one movement that you can go forward together. But an awful lot of independents should be listened to, and they, they talk an awful lot of common sense. But there's people afraid of the party system, and the party system in this country. It's it's a funny one because we're a very small country. And as you said, like Sinn Féin has an awful lot of people who'd be very um, on the left. Mm. But they'd mm. also have an awful lot of very rural, conservative yeah. voters yeah. who would support Sinn Féin because of their Republican stance, who would have no truck with what some of the lads on the left would be saying. But yet you're trying to get them all to agree on one policy, and it's very difficult to do. But the people who are going to knock you We'll always focus on your your weakest point and attack you at that point. Right. I mean, I mean, just, just to take a point, I mean, I know, I, know, I say I never made any indication, or certainly if it is wrong, that that the that independence didn't have a voice and that they weren't important. I think what I would like to see, and I think it would be a much positive for Ireland, is that we give more power to the to the local mm. uh, elected representatives who can be independents, who know exactly what's going on in their yeah. community, you know, who know exactly what's needed, and let let them at local level in local government have much more power, much more say in what they do, and then allow national issues like overall immigration to, to parties. And, and then that way, from local government... They can have local go- representation yeah. as a grouping saying, say, like, you know, the bloody roundabout and, mm, and yeah, these things, yeah. which are clearly not national issues. Yeah. But need to be, then those things can be brought mm. to a national level. And I think we need to... The, the problem we have in Ireland is all politics is local. Yeah. 
And it's, I think on a national basis, that's yeah. wrong. Yeah. And, and, and just before we finish up, can I just uh, make reference to the Irish women's basketball team in response to an allegation by an Israeli player about anti-Semitism? They chose not to shake hands with the Israel uh, players at uh, Eurobasket 2025 qualifier on a Thursday. Now there's been calls for the team to boycott uh, the game over the war in uh, Gaza. But what about keeping sport and politics separate? What about that, uh, Alison? Now there was those unfortunate photographs with the Israeli team mm. and the, the soldiers and stuff, yeah. Well, I think there's a lot of double standards. Like, you know, FIBA, say, banned Russia and Belarus before. Um, yeah. Say, the Olympics Committee banned yeah. Russian a- athletes from the Olympics um, after, the say, the Ukraine war started. Um, but Israel are allowed to participate when, you know, there is genocide, to call it what it is, going on. Um, so I think the double standards, you know, I, I know the whole thing of, oh, you can't bring sports into this, but, they, you know, the girls should have never yeah. had to make decisions mm. on that. Yeah. It, you know, say, the ones who have made the decisions in the past, like the likes of FIBA and the IOC, they need to be the ones who are, you know, the, say... Uh, have to make the decisions here. They've done them in the past. They can't just change the goalposts. And that's where I would have a major issue. All right, Liam, what about that? Sports and politics Much the same. separation there. Sports and politics have always mixed. I mean, and we always say they shouldn't, but they always do. Mm. From a local level to a national level to an international and of level. Of course, we saw Hitler with the Olympics. Yeah, we, we, you know, we, we, boycotted, yeah. we boycotted the South African, the, the apartheid regime yeah. in South Africa. We currently have boycotts against Belarus and uh, Russia. You know, we've had Olympics. The Americans didn't go to the Russian Olympics, so the Russians didn't go to the American Olympics in in '84. I think what happened this week with the basketball, I feel really sorry for the the, the ladies team who had to go out in that sort of mm. environment, and they were and never they, they were never and get beaten. They yeah. were never going to win in any sense yeah. out there, and then they were being hit the, yesterday for not shaking hands. Yeah. But I mean, they were called anti-Semites the day before by an Israeli player. Which should never have done. I'm, they shouldn't have shaken hands. I'm delighted they didn't. All right. Well, there were references in the country, in yeah, fact, absolutely. as well That's as the team. I'm delighted they didn't. Mark. Yeah, but well, I mean, sports and politics have always been incredibly interlinked, anyway. Mm. I mean, mm. and certainly once you get into the the, it, the governing bodies, the politics of the govern, what's going on in the government bodies, and then you go into the international bodies, it even gets more complicated. Mm. Sports and politics is is a fact of life. I think it's. I think it's. It's it's awful for the players mm. to have to make decisions, and they shouldn't be in positions to make decisions. It should be the body. I think the sanctions that were going to come to Ireland were prohibitive. I mean, essentially, if they didn't do, if they didn't play this game, the next game, they're going to be barred from competition for five years for a sport which has only just got back on its feet. Mm. And I mean, if you are an aspiring basketball player, rugby player, GAA player, whoever it is, you want to represent your country or your county at at the top level, you know, to say to introduce this thing about having to deal with the, the politics of something that you may or not agree, disagree, or, or there's nuances is, is wrong. I think it, it. I think they were, they were, uh, the government, the, sorry, the Basketball Association were right to play the game. I think as a gesture, I think they were right not to shake hands. I think that shows an element of defiance that's enough. It's a bit like the black power movement mm, that was mm. in America and things like that. So we've always, the sports individuals have always made political statements themselves yes. all the way through it. But I, I'm not a sporty, uh, as you know, Alison. Would that affect players then? I mean, yes. they have all of these issues weighing on their shoulders and they have to go out and perform. Completely. And 
am I right in saying five of the Irish yeah. women didn't five play? Didn't travel, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so like that's a huge chunk of the team. They weren't going full team, yeah. Um, yeah. So they were up against it from the very beginning. And the name calling, you know, yeah. say the psyche, you know, that, that gets into people regardless of, you know, you want to be very strong because they were getting it from every angle. Um, I definitely think that the girls weren't taken care of on this one and... I, I, yeah. Just a quick, a quick one. My, my view is that the players like that who, who made who made comments about anti-Semitism and similarly if the Irish players had made comments the other way, those players should be sanctioned. They should not be commenting on mm. the politics of any other thing as players. And if they are, there should be sanctions in relation to that. All right, there we leave it. Thanks to Mark and Alison <coughs> and uh, to Liam as well. Thanks for having a great panel as uh, always. That's it uh, for me, Alison, produced. And um, Stephen is on the way. And I'll talk to you on Monday. Look after yourselves. Bye-bye. <laughs> Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.